Welcome back to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. My name is Kyle Bird, and um, we're back with another uh, horror movie episode because it's October, and that's what we do in October. Um, you know uh, the folks I have here. I have um, our buddy Tom from the Final Forum Dragon Ball podcast. I've run out of. Uh, funny, pithy things to say. But yes, I'm here. <laughs> um, <laughs> I have uh, our friend Lux Edwards from, I don't know, what do you, you stream? Soul Mass. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, so the so, Soul Mass, the, the, the heavy metal band. But uh, from what, I, do you twitch? Is that what you do? You twitch? Is that something the kids are doing? Yes, I uh, stream on Twitch. I'm a video game speedrunner, so I'm oh, a okay. com- competitive gamer of sorts. Uh, those are words. Um, <laughs> and then uh, our uh, our our good buddy, a staple here, uh, Kevin from Mazer Patrol. Canada. <laughs> um. Uh. So uh, this is... Uh, Leave him alone. Yeah. <laughs> Leave me alone. So this is... Uh, we're talking about the Tetsuo Trilogy from Shinya Tsukamoto. Um, and uh, yeah, these have been on our Halloween shortlist for the last few years. It's just, I don't know, what for whatever reason... We always have decided to do something else, but um, finally we're talking about um, Tetsuo and uh, the work of Shinya Tsukamoto. I know that um, I know that the four of us are fans, um, uh, I, and you know, thinking in terms of what you know, Godzilla fans might recognize this guy from. Um, you know, he was the scientist in Shin Godzilla. The one with the towel around his neck. He has a brief role in Shin Kamen Rider. Um, and he's in a lot of movies as an actor, too. Um, he's in uh, Silence, the Martin Scorsese movie. He's in um, a few movies from Takashi Miike, like uh, Dead or Alive 2 and um, Ichi the Killer. Uh, he's the hypnotist. Um but uh yeah, uh really one of Japan's big uh indie directors for genre stuff. Um there's a really fantastic box set that Arrow put out that has um two the first two Tetsuo movies that we're going to be talking about as well as like 
a lot of his other stuff, um, and uh, I heavily recommend it. Um, so if the four of us, if our recommendation isn't enough, other fans of Tsukamoto include the aforementioned Martin Scorsese and Takashi Miike uh, and Hideki Anno, also uh, Quentin Tarantino, David Fincher, Darren Aronofsky, um, the Wachowskis, um, Alejandro Jodorowsky. So um, those are those are influential and important people, tastemakers, if you will. So yeah, the the Wachowskis, uh, William Gibson, uh, Troy Hark, um, uh, all all. Tsukamoto fans, um, and uh, actually, kind of guy who doesn't get enough credit for being a tastemaker in terms of Japanese pop culture stuff that we get over here, Lloyd Kaufman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah we'll uh, there's there's a specific little piece of, with Lloyd Kaufman that I'm sure will come up. Um, but yeah, uh, so no, we we're all fans. Um, we've uh, um, at least on this podcast, we've all seen his semen dripping a lot, um, <laughs> which I kind of want to leave there without context. <laughs> you got to explain it now. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, no, if you've seen Ichi the Killer, um, the, in, the semen they use in that movie, include like the opening in the, the opening title and all that, um, is his. Because Mike found out that Sukamoto just like is a way to relieve nervousness and stress, he jerks off before a shoot, and he was like, instead of using fake cum, we'll use yours because that's something a sane person would do. Um, I know those guys are crazy, <laughs> so that's that's that. Um, but yeah, the Kaiju transmission. Yeah, podcast. there you go. Yeah, we're never mind. Um, transmissions after dark. Mike does the uh, <laughs> the intro to Tsukamoto's biography, and uh, he describes it like he'd heard that Tsukamoto was a crazy guy, and like he met him at a party, and we're like, this guy seems normal. And then he saw him on a film set, and he was like, oh no, no, he is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, one of my favorite stories that I've heard. Just I don't know. It's cool to see, you know these uh directors that you like you know mingling and be fans of each other but but one of my favorite stories is just kind of i don't know adorable in its own way is when scorsese was casting the movie silence which is the movie he made about the the christian missionaries in japan um uh his casting agent or whatever was just like yeah you know we just had this you know had had this really good audition with this guy and I'd like to set up a meeting with you guys. And then, um, and you know, Scorsese's just like, yeah, that's okay. Yeah. I'll meet him, you know, I'll talk and we'll, we'll see how it goes. And <laughs> you know, Shinya Tsukamoto walks in the door and Scorsese just like nerded out. Like he like popped up from his chair, like, Oh my God. Like, and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, he just like weaved out over it. Um, uh, so yeah, I mean, he had no idea that it was Sukamoto that they were talking to. And then he walked in the door and he was like, oh my God, I, it's, you're you. I can't believe it. Um, so anyway, uh, enough about us just talking about how awesome this guy is. Let's actually, uh, talk about who he is. 
Um, so, uh, like I said, uh, he's uh, primarily an independent filmmaker. Um, he's done a couple studio things here and there, but primarily an independent filmmaker. Um, and uh, his production company is Kaiju Theater. Um, and uh, Kaiju is spelled K-A-I-Y-J-U. I'm assuming it's just he didn't know how we spell that in English. Um, anyway, uh, if um, the first thing someone would probably say in describing Tsukamoto is uh, he gets compared to Lynch and Cronenberg a lot. And th- there's very obvious reasons for that. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I also think he's also, he takes from those guys for sure, but he's also uh, the first Shinya Tsukamoto. Um, so uh, if if that means anything to you, it should clue you in that this is someone that doesn't really deal in straightforward narrative, um, traditional plot structure, uh, deals in a lot of uh, abstract, uh, surreal stuff. Um so I mentioned his production company is Kaiju Theater. His big inspirations, uh, you know, first things that he really loved genre-wise as a child were kaiju movies. Um, so obviously Godzilla, Gamera, you know, um, he, I, I looked, I, I, there was some interview he did where he was talking about how he remembered, you know, kind of like when the first Gamera movie came out, just like kind of like almost counting down the days until he went to see it. But... Um, in all of the kaiju realm, the one thing that uh, really struck him was a little show called Ultra Q. Um, and he traces his love of the surreal and the abstract back to Ultra Q. Um, and, Ultra, and, and Ultra Q did have, you know, I mean, they're a traditional Monster of the Week episodes but every now and then they do some crazy almost artsy thing like uh the kanegan episode or or something like that um and and those are the things that really got him kind of interested in i guess weird surreal abstraction kind of stuff um you know later in life uh he you know when he in the teenage college years that's when he you know gets into kurosawa and stuff um in the 70s you know when he was in college that's where guys when guys like uh david lynch and david cronenberg were blowing up um those really uh are films that affected him greatly um just thematically stylistically um you know into the 80s you know stuff like blade runner um that's all stuff that he really, uh, uh, really kind of opened up his perception of, you know, what, what, how you can make a movie and things you could do with the, the film medium. Um, one thing that uh, everyone, even himself, on and off, uh, refers to a lot of his work, especially the Tetsuo films, as is cyberpunk. Um, now, uh, obviously, there's movies that have influenced his work greatly. I like I mentioned Blade Runner, um, Videodrome is another one. Um, but uh, I don't know. There, there's some contention. I guess maybe it's East and Eastern and Western perception of what that word means. Um, but I don't know. I'll, I guess I'll let Kevin say his piece on this without. Uh, without getting too much into the weeds, um, so Kevin, yeah, you uh, in our 
our own little like private chat on Facebook, you you rather infamously at this point uh, uh, <laughs> really uh, had a, there was a point of contention of, in uh, describing uh, Tetsuo as cyberpunk. So um, what is yeah? I guess give give your version of it and how it also is um, compared to how Sukamoto himself views it. Okay, uh, and and my definition actually varies a little bit from what Tsukamoto says, although he has also said that he doesn't view Tetsuo as cyberpunk. Um, and my um, my hang-up is necessarily that cyberpunk is a portmanteau of the words cybernetic and punk. And while Tetsuo can definitely be considered punk for its very experimental, you know, frenetic... Uh, anti-authoritarian, you know, establishment kind of mentality. Um, it is not cyber. Uh, there's there's nothing particularly uh, computer-based uh, around it going on. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm like, okay, this is, you know, in the same way that Kanegon's Cocoon, which I think is probably the closest thing to Tetsuo in terms of the the origin, uh, like that also deals with somebody undergoing a transformation and and in a way that has to do with you know modern social issues in this case lust for money, um, but it's not cyberpunk as i would call it and you know there are there are countless other things that you can point to uh you know like the fly was another huge influence on uh on tetsuo and i wouldn't call the fly cyberpunk either even though that also has to do with with technology gone awry um now what Tsukamoto himself says is that cyberpunk tends to be post-apocalyptic and his movies deal more with the apocalypse as its beginning rather than uh, post-apocalyptic, which I I don't quite agree with that description, that definition. But he was also not aware of the term cyberpunk when he made Tetsuo. That was something that was ascribed to the movie afterwards, and he kind of like shrugged and... and has gone back and forth with it. I, I think you could argue perhaps later Tetsuo sequels get a little bit more cyberpunk because they delve more into what you would call science fiction, whereas the original film is much more kind of a, I, I think it's more of a curse movie. It's, it's kind of like a, like a Kaidan in terms of like, it's a, a little bit of a, of a haunting, uh, and, uh, and, and, uh, there's a little bit of a morality tale in terms of, the, the nature of the transformation that goes on, but it seems more supernatural than science fiction based. Yeah, it's interesting that um, the term cyberpunk, at least I, I like if you Google Japanese cyberpunk, the first thing you're going to get is like Tetsuo. Like, it's in the shell. Yeah, it's like people pinpoint it as like, oh, this is like one of the. You know, one of the handful of like things that birthed Japanese cyberpunk or whatever. Um, so I don't know. That's I don't know. That that description probably isn't going away. You know, but 
The, then, you know, I don't know. You also risk getting into, well, what's a kaiju? Is it this or is it that? Or, you know, and at that point, I just kind of tune out of, you know, I guess whatever labels um, people like to put on things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting that um, he hasn't, uh, I don't know, he, he, he's, and maybe it's more just because of the nature of the sequels. He hasn't ever been like, you know, hey, I don't know, stop calling it that, but I don't know. He probably doesn't care. He's got better things to worry about, probably. Um, uh, where are we? The mid-70s. So, yeah, that's when he's um, uh, starting to make his own 8mm short films. Um, his dad ran, like, an ad agency and wasn't really supportive of him making any kind of, doing any kind of artistic career. He was just like, you know become the corporate salary man guy kind of thing. Um, uh, and uh, his, uh, <clears throat> his first short film um, was actually uh, a sort of kaiju kind of um, thing with, uh, it was about a giant caveman, right? Yeah, it was a uh, it was Genshi San. Um, so that was an adaptation of a Shigeru Mizuki thing. So a fan, it's, it's, this was like a fan film. Yeah, more or less. Yeah, um, our, uh, our yeah, Kitaro episode that that manga author. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, but uh, uh, so yeah, his the influence of kaiju stuff is like really kind of where it begins this whole fascination with monsters and, and all that stuff. Um, uh, but, uh, <clears throat> yeah, so, um, you know, because of, uh, you know, his work with his dad at the ad agency, he also um, uh, did some uh, commercials for Nikon cameras in 1984, starring LaToya Jackson. Um, yes, that LaToya Jackson. Um and uh, you know, eventually he kind of took a back seat to to directing, and uh, he got really into theater, uh, became a theater kid basically, um, and he uh, got into underground underground theater. So that's where he started kaiju theater, um, as actually a theater, you know, as in stage play theater. Um, but uh, you know, this wasn't like a fancy kind of you know uh, high end, you know. Broadway style theater. This was like a- a amateur theater that you know him and his friends would do. Um, you know they they you know would set up like a giant tent uh, with like a sea monster on it. It says Kaiju Theater, and they they would perform these uh, these little plays. Um, and that's where uh, his. Uh, Friendships with uh, Kei Fujiwara, Nobu uh, Kaneoka, Tomoruo Taguchi. Those are you know the three three of the the actors in um, Tetsuo the Iron Man. They started with him in the the theater, and um, so they they do that for a while, um, and eventually he kind of goes back to directing, and um, he has two short films: one in 1986, which is Phantom of Regular Size, and then uh, one in 1987, which is Adventures of Denchu Kozo, or Electric Rod Boy. Um, and that was uh, adapted from one of the kaiju theater plays. Um, uh, supposedly, Sukamoto, you know, they built all these sets and props and stuff, and he didn't want them to just go to waste, so 
he wanted to do uh, a film version. So it's like a 45-minute or so short film. Um, and he manages to, uh, to, to get it into um, uh, some festivals. Isn't that right, Kevin? Yeah. Uh, so um, uh, Adventures of Electric Broadway winds up at uh, uh, PIA, uh, which was kind of a, a big uh, festival for the, the independent circuit. And the year that he uh, got, um, he, he basically won the grand prize. The uh, the panel uh, that was, uh, you know, c- kind of a bunch of, you know, recognized as, as um, up-and-comers at the time uh, had some familiar names on it. So among the names that uh, were on that panel, uh, there was uh, Kazuki Omori, you know, who would go on to direct uh, Godzilla. And uh, there was also uh, Shusuke Kaneko, who would go on to, you know, direct Godzilla. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there was also Nagisa Oshima. Uh, I think he was he was at the time, like, the most known name on that panel. Uh, but uh, Takashige uh, Ichise, who would uh, go on to produce The Ring and, you know, kind of reshape the entire uh, J-horror um, oeuvre, was also on that panel. So uh, it, was, uh, it was kind of stacked. Uh, for, so it was, it, you know, in retrospect, an even bigger deal that he won the the grand prize there. <clears throat> yeah, um, nineteen eighty eight. <laughs> yeah, that's before a lot of those people did anything we know them for doing. Um, uh, so that all leads to um, uh, Tetsuo, uh, which came out in nineteen eighty nine. Um, and uh, so, um, yeah, he kind of gets a lot of the, the theater crew together. Um, and, uh, you know, he brings in people like um, Chu Ishikawa, who was uh, a member of uh, an industrial noise rock band called uh, Zelich Vergelter. I probably said that horribly, but... Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, before filming Tetsuo... Um, his dad, like I said, his dad wasn't super supportive of any of this. He he got kicked out of the house, um, and uh, from um, what I understand, his dad told him there are two types of human beings: those who are successful and those who fail. You are a failure, and you shouldn't make this film. Um, so harsh words from dad. Um, even, even when he was a kid, there's all sorts of anecdotes about like when they would go you know, watch TV together or something, his dad would be like, this is a bad show. I know because I went to art school. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's still guys like that out there. (laughs) Um, and, uh, yeah, to say it was a tough shoot is probably, um, an understatement. Um, Kei Fujiwara, the actress, um, she uh, she allowed her apartment to be one of the the, the locations for the movie, um, and she would end up also having credits on it as uh, assistant director, costume designer, second director of photography, um, and uh, uh, in um, in uh, Tom Mess's Sukamoto biography, Iron Man: The Cinema of Shinya Sukamoto. Um, he interviewed uh, Tomorrow uh, Taguchi about making 
the movie. And um, uh, what he says is, uh, Taguchi was the only member of the cast and crew that didn't live on the set. And when they say live on the set, they mean that literally. <laughs> like, these are a bunch of poor, like, art kids, uh, like I said. Um, and he said, uh, it's true, every, almost every day I went in, another crew member would have quit. One day I arrived at the house, and the lighting crew had all gone, so I had to do the lighting for Tsukamoto's scenes myself. Towards the end, only the actors were still around. Nearly the entire crew had given up and left by then. Um... So, uh, yeah, I, and I, I don't know specifics, but I, I know that, like, it was such a contentious shoot that it, like, ruined some friendships uh, and, and stuff. So, yeah, I mean, it was, you know, uh, not, not a picnic. Um, and at the end of, uh, of you know, the, the, the filming, you know, Sukamoto had become so, like, it was so miserable that he, he considered just almost, he burning the, the film and just giving up. Um, but, uh, thankfully he didn't do that. Um, and, uh, he finished the movie and, uh, you know, no one would really touch it. It, it ended up getting a very small theatrical release in Tokyo where it screened it like once a day late at night. <clears throat> and then, um, it didn't really get, a kind of a, another evaluation out after that until, um, it was shown in uh, 1989 um, in Italy at the Fant- Fanta Festival in Rome, uh, where it was received uh, really well. Um, and it won the award uh, for um, the best film of the festival. And that award was given by Troma's Lloyd Kaufman. Um, the crowd loved it. Um, that's where Joe Dorowski saw it. Um, and it pretty much has had legs ever since. Um, it is very much like, it is like a textbook definition of something that's become a cult classic um, for reasons that I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about. Um, so uh, I uh, am going to pick on Tom for... What I figured. A synopsis <laughs> for Tetsuo One, the Iron Man. Good luck. Yeah, this. Um, oh boy. <laughs> um, can I just say, a sweaty guy fears his own lust, and then his drill turns into a penis, and he bangs everyone to death. <laughs> That's like basically the movie. <laughs> I mean, I guess there's slightly more to it than that, but. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it. It is. Uh, there's. It starts out with uh, a person who we only ever know as the metal fetishist, who is like just jamming metal into open wounds on his body. Uh, he ends up getting hit in a hit and run by a salaryman, and that's uh, the tomorrow uh, Taguchi character. And he is a, like, kind of prototypical salaryman that you've probably seen. If you've been listening to this podcast and watching along with with the movies that have been reviewed, you've seen this general kind of archetype before. A, like, a, a loser, basically. You know, a salaryman loser who has a lot of 
a lot of like insecurities. And now this is through a much grimier, nastier lens, a much more sexual lens also. But it is that that like kind of typical loser salaryman guy. He has all kinds of, of crazy thoughts about um, things he would like to do to his girlfriend. And one morning as he's shaving, he sees like a little thing on his cheek and it like looks like a piece of metal coming out of his out of his cheek. As the story or the just really just the action, because it's not so much story as the action unfolds, he finds more and more of these patches of like metal appearing on his body as he's getting passionate with his with his girlfriend one evening um you forgot he gets raped by a metal tube at one point yeah that's that's like a dream sequence (laughs) where he dreams that his girlfriend uh sodomizes him with like a metal hose coming out of her yes that happens (laughs) um he he finds more and more of these metal patches as him and his girlfriend are getting hot and steamy. One day his, his penis turns into a giant drill and he's like, no, like, don't look at me. Like, I think actually he says, leave me alone also. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) But he's, you know, don't look at me. I'm hideous, whatever. She's like, I, 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 I'm a naughty girl. I can not be surprised by anything. And, um, she sees him and unfortunately she is very surprised. And (laughs) wouldn't you be (laughs) is like traumatized from this. And he like passes out when he wakes back up, he realizes that as he passed out from like the trauma of everything, she still tried to have sex with him anyways. And his drill penis has mauled her. <laughs> um, he ends up running back across the metal fetishist that he that he got in the hit and run with, and they're like oddly drawn to each other as these two like metal beings. <laughs> they they end up fusing together into one nightmare monstrosity. They fight for and, a while first, yeah, yeah, and then and then they they fuse together in like a metal monstrosity, and it's like, like a, ah, this is like a giant penis shaped monstrosity. What? They're in a giant penis shape. Yeah, and they're like, ah, this is this is the way it was supposed to be. Like this, this feels right. This is the life. And let's go, let's go turn the rest of the world into metal. And they're like, ah, yeah, that's a that's a great plan. And that's how the movie ends. I should probably mention these movies aren't for the faint of heart. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, it's also, this movie's what? Is this movie 62 minutes long? Something like something that? Like, yeah, 65, 67, something, something like that. And it is, there's, it's got a very, you know, you mentioned that he gets compared to Lynch a lot, and I would agree that I don't think that comparison falls super well it's a shallow in general it's it's it makes sense but the i don't know i always get like that though lynch is more dreamy and atmospheric yeah and 
and more deliberately paced, and and Sukumoto yeah, is much the, more frenetic. There's a lot of surface level comparisons you can make to Lynch and Cronenberg, and it's obvious that he loves Lynch and Cronenberg, and that's something he draws from. But he's also doing it in a way that is only him, you know. Yeah, and I just this one in particular, the easiest, like lowest hanging fruit that you can compare it to eraser is Eraserhead. Yeah. Where, not just because of the black and white photography, but that's at least a part of it, but still, because of, there's a lot of, like, interstitial scenes and moments and things of just, like, random stop-motion effects, which are really cool, actually. Um, <clears throat> like, random stop-motion effects, random little effects moments, random, um, like, weird like bridges between scenes that aren't narrative in really any way at all. They just kind of set the, the tone and atmosphere of this like horrible, sweaty, lusty nightmare world. (laughs) And, and that's where, that's where I could see the comparison coming in the most, at least on this one is, is to like that eraser head where there's just like random things yeah a lot of like industrial yeah like wasteland kind of and it's grimy and you kind of feel like you need a shower afterwards those are the best movies man yeah i have to wonder how many of the people making those comparisons are aware of sogo ishii oh yeah yeah i mean yeah that because he he's was he he's like late 70s early 80s right he went to the same college as Tsukamoto. He was a senior when Tsukamoto was a freshman. Yeah, and uh, Bur- when, when did what year did Burst City come out? That was uh, I want to say eighty two. Okay, yeah. So so Burst City is another one that he would have seen before he made this, and probably you know I, I mean like I said, these are all guy these are all great directors, and it's ob- the influence is obvious. But yeah, it's like you know I, I wouldn't sell Tsukamoto short. To be like he's the the Japanese David Lynch that or the the second Sogo Ishii, you know? No, he he is the first Sukamoto still. Yeah, especially like not to put down Lynch at all. I love David Lynch, but Sukamoto has so much more frenetic energy. It's a, it, his movies. yeah, like even the camera work is more Sam Raimi than yeah, any, just, any, yeah. any anything. You know, um, it's like this a hyper like hyper crazy camera you know it's something that yeah in 1989 aside from sam raimi i don't know who else was even doing stuff like this but yeah no a good comparison with sam raimi is uh you know how evil dead is basically uh a remake of within the woods yeah Uh, tesla is basically a remake of phantom of regular size Mm mm-hmm and that was that was a deliberate choice where like he knew that I guess at the the film festivals if you make a short your your movie just kind of gets lumped into a section called shorts right if yeah you make a feature you get you know advertised as its own thing so he's like okay this has to be like over an hour long so that it can be a feature so that it can be evaluated as such and kind of get that publicity yeah the, and the reason that one isn't more uh, widely seen. Especially with stuff like this arrow set, is because that w- that was something that he didn't really Phantom of Regular Size isn't something he really did um, for to market commercially. So there's a lot of um, a lot of music that he used that 
he doesn't own. And so that's why it's like not on anything, but you can, it's on YouTube. Like it, it's pretty easy to find online. Um, but yeah, uh, this is a movie that is, it's like, it's an assault on the senses. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I probably first saw it, I don't know, 15 years ago ish. Um, it's one that I'd heard about and seen stills just from reading a bunch of magazines because I'm a nerd. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's an assault on every every sense, even your smell. Even though it's it, it's it's not done in smellovision, you know you can't smell it, but you watch you feel like you probably can. You can probably smell oil and burning metal and all kinds of gross sweat and other things. Um, the you know the music and sound design. I mean. I mentioned earlier the guy that did the score for this is, is known for being like in an industrial noise metal band. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, the, every sense, all of, all five senses are violated in some way by this movie. I say that as a good thing, um, and uh, because it's such an abstract, you know, it doesn't explain itself. It's just in its own world. Because of that, there's a lot of room for interpretation, which is another thing I really like about it. You know, uh, that's not for everybody. I happen to enjoy stuff like that. Um, but uh, I, I, I kind of want to pass, uh, you know, our our initial impression, impressions and thoughts over to Kevin, just because knowing you, uh, and I don't, I don't say this as a negative or positive thing. Well, I know you love this movie. I mean, everyone does or should love this movie because it's awesome. But um, you always struck me as someone that isn't too into more artsy, abstraction kind of films. Um, and I don't know if that's just a misreading I have of you, but would you say that, you know, uh, you, you know, do you really... Outside of Tetsuo, do you really jive with stuff that's just like a barrage of surreal imagery without much explanation? Um, I don't know. I never thought of your tastes as that way. So I kind of want to hear what your your thoughts on that. Yeah, generally I don't. I don't know how much of it is, you know, uh, uh, colored by the context in which I I saw the movie for the first time. Which, you know, unlike it sounds like you saw it relatively recently, whereas I saw it in middle school. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a weird time to see this. Yeah. Yikes. Uh, yeah, let's, let's put it this way. What, one of my friends that, um, that, that saw it with me, he got, uh, he got very into the S and M scene afterwards. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yeah, like there's, there's a lot of just b- bizarreness. So, I mean, even, you know, watching it as a, as a kid, basically, you know, we would, we would laugh at like the, you know, person just repeating moshi moshi into the telephone over and over and over again and not getting a response and things like that, that were just outright bizarre. But, you know, it is one of those movies that like, it makes more sense the more you watch mm-hmm. it, if, that, uh, if that's believable. Uh, but it is, uh, it is a barrage and it's very, very hyperactive, but I, I think that there's something to be said for that kind of strength of pure presentation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the soundtrack goes a long way towards oh, yeah. that as well. The soundtrack's great. 
Um, so, you know, that's, you know, that's a soundtrack that you can just kind of like listen to on its own. Um, but then when you combine it with the, with the frenetic visuals and like, this is, this, that is kind of where the strength of this comes through so much. I mean, you mentioned when it played in Rome, it, it won awards and it wasn't subtitled. It was just that, that much of a, just visual sensory overload, that kind of thing. Um, and that's not something that you want to do all the time, but in in this case, I th- I think it is kind of cream of the crop, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I just never think of you as someone that's typically drawn to like these more artsy kind of thing. Like I remember when when uh, way back when when we did uh, End of Evangelion on here, you know, you were just like, yeah, I, it looks great, but I also don't kind of get it. It's not really my thing, and it's like. So yeah, this this is in my head. This is like an outlier to your usual taste. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I I can see what you're saying there, and um, I don't disagree. But it's, I also it's think- just surrealism, it, you know, stuff like that. It, you know, it's not for everybody. There's nothing wrong with that. It's yeah. just you know, it it's, it's an acquired taste. Um, but no, I I think what you're saying though is just the the frenetic energy of it is like magnetic yes you know i I think that's a fair assessment no no pun intended um (laughs) but yeah no that i i was curious to ask that because i was like i know he loves this movie but it's just not something that i typically would like i don't know if i if you didn't see it, I don't. If you've never seen this, I don't know if I'd be like, "Wow, I really need to recommend this to Kevin." <laughs> you know, I'd be like, "Yeah, I don't know if it's his jam." But also, yeah, the the thing that does make it stand apart from all those other guys we mentioned is it has this hyper energy to it. That comp- I mean, it's very Sam Raimi esque. Not just just in terms of. It's it just it has more of the Sam Raimi attitude than it feels like a Sam Raimi movie of just you know we're just gonna make the most chaotic thing and assault you for over an hour. Um, but uh, anyway, so um, yeah, Lux, I want to hear from you next. What what is it about this that has kind of you know makes it click for you and has made this something that you know is a movie that you go back to. I think the first time I saw this movie was probably around the same time you did, maybe like 10, 15 years ago or something like that. And again, it's just kind of, I'd always knew, knew about it because like I I watch a lot of horror movies and stuff and this kind of gets recommended in horror circles a lot sometimes. Mm. And um, so I was like, okay, I'll watch Tetsuo. And uh, obviously uh, I was a little bit shocked by what I watched because it's just, uh, just it's it's completely unlike anything else. It's it's Shinya Tsukamoto, like you said. Um, I really can't find a good comparison to anything else because it's so yeah unique. It's like we said, there's uh, stuff you can bring up, but it's right. It's still surface level stuff. Like I can uh, I can maybe compare it. Like you said, like the camera work is very Sam Raimi. The surrealism does remind me a little bit of like Alejandro Jodorowsky, but it's it's way more frenetic than that. It's because he has a lot of long shots, and this is like this is just a chaos at all times. This really feels more like um, 
like you were saying, it's, it's very much driven by its music. So a lot of the time it feels like watching uh, a music video. It's mm-hmm. like, it's an, um, there are like, obviously there's just the downtime uh, moments without music and, and with imagery going on. But when the music starts going, it feels like you're watching, you know, like maybe like a, a nine inch nails music video or a tool music video with the really weird imagery on the screen and then the driving music. Um, it's just really cool to watch. So uh, part of that's why I keep coming back to it. Cause it's just really interesting imagery and uh, really cool music. Um, otherwise it's just, it's, it is actually very difficult to watch. I don't come back to it too often <laughs> as much as I like it. it. It's very chaotic. This is not for everybody. So uh, I'm not exactly recommending this to everybody. If you have a problem with like auditory or like visual stimuli, this may, Shinya Sikamoto. This will kill you. you. His, <laughs> movies, his movies are not for you, specifically not the Tetsuo movies. Um, but this one is, in particular, all over the place. Lots of quick shots. Um, and like Tom said, a lot of really cool effects work with uh, stop motion and photography. Um, there's no part of this movie that you're looking at that's not interesting. And like you said, uh, it is all open to interpretation because there's such a loose narrative to it. Uh, and I really dig that about the movie. I think with the time it was made, there's a lot you might be able to compare with the downturn of the bubble, uh, going on with the economy at the time. Um, the very punk rock atmosphere of all of it and everyone, you know, like you said, just like living together in this apartment and just making a punk rock weird, uh, movie. Uh, yeah, it's just, uh, it's very magnetic. That's that's you said it better than any of us. I think it's yeah. a magnetic movie. Um, I know Tom has watched this like multiple times at this point within the like last calendar year. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, what, what's what's your deal with uh, Tetsuo the Iron Man? Yeah, I first saw it in college, I think, which is why. I actually like I agreed with you at first when you said 15 years ago but then I was like oh no I graduated college more than 15 years ago. I well um, I not to disservice what we said like yeah for me my early right out, fresh out of high school is when I started getting r- way more into um like weirder and weirder and weirder stuff. It's when I really discovered Lynch. It's when I really discovered Cronenberg. And, um, uh, you know, all these like weird guys that were doing stuff that you couldn't really put in one genre. And Mike was another one. Like, it's when I first saw a lot of the Mike stuff. And so Sukamoto like fell right in line with that. Yeah. And that's so I first saw it. That's, I, I think it had come up on like, uh, it had to have come up somewhere on the Monster Zero forums because that's, kind of the only place I would have gotten information about something like this, but... Uh, hey, yeah, that's it, where we met. Yeah. That's where we met Lux, too. Kevin's the only non-Monster Zero uh, guy here. Where were you? <laughs> I, I, I might have been on Toho Kingdom. Oof. Uh, <laughs> one of those people. Oh, yeah, you're one of those. <laughs> but but that, was a, that was a good pretty good like first time seeing it because it it was like if you see this movie relatively young in your 
journey of getting into like movies in general, it'll be like you'll be just blown away. It's like, you've never seen anything like this at all before. You know, we could sit here now and be like, well, it's kind of like a blend of this and this and this and this. And that might be what I would say if I was coming to it for the first time now is, is, and there's still nothing exactly like it, but when you see it, when you've pretty much only ever seen stuff with traditional narratives (laughs) to that point, it, it like, blows your brains to smithereens um and then yeah i watched it uh like one other time before i bought the sukumoto set and then i bought it at, I, and then i watched it after i bought the sukumoto set and then we were doing this and i was like i probably don't really need to watch it again but let me give it a shot and i threw it on just to say hey you know make sure i rewatched it and everything and i wound up being being just kind of sucked in by it and captivated it's everything about it just pulls you in and you can't look away even at the times that you kind of might want to which have become less and less for me as my brain has been warped over the years (laughs) um but it is it's just it it pulls you in. It commands your attention. It is just so, it is so, it's weird. It's like, it's so all over the place and everything. And yet you still feel a purposefulness to it and to pretty much everything that it's doing it in that way. Also, it's kind of like Lynch where he leaves it very vague, very open to interpretation, and he's not out here telling you what it means. He's going to say, yeah, I know what it means. I know what it means to me, but what it means is is up to every individual person. It, it's what you take away from it that matters. And I really like respect that kind of of abstract filmmaking when, when the filmmaker is like, yeah, I made this for me and I'm just kind of surprised that people really like it. Um, I, I really respect that. And it is just, it's, it's captivating and, um, the music and there's like a rhythm to the whole thing. Um, it's, it's great. And, uh, I, I will also echo that like, this is not, you know, I'll, 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 this is. I thought I was going to maybe do this a little bit later, but I think three of us will be on the same page here, and, and one of us, Bird, uh, is going to say, "What? I could watch this movie with my daughter." Um, <laughs> this isn't the kind of movie you put on on like a like a Sunday afternoon when you're looking for just something to watch. Um, it's the kind of movie that you sit down a little bit more with the intent to watch, um, and it's not generally something you feel like you can or want to come back to very, very often. Uh, but when you do, it's a very rewarding experience. Um, and then also just to get this on the record for listeners of Kaiju transmissions, in case I've never said it anywhere on any other episode before, I have a thing for movies where everyone looks like it's the sweatiest shoot known to man. <laughs> Um, like I really love Howling Three. I really love this. I really love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, do the right I, thing. That's like <laughs> the hottest movie. <laughs> um, 
I like the 80s cat people movie probably a lot more than I should because they're just like sweat. Everyone is just constantly sweaty. Uh, something about it just, uh, I guess that's my kink maybe. I don't know. Uh, You're disgusting. But... <laughs> but yeah, I uh, that that really like every time I watch this movie, I'm like, oh yes, this is one of the sweatiest movies ever. <laughs> um, so I love it. Uh, yeah, I mean, surprise, surprise. I could probably watch this like every day. Um, <laughs> uh, that being said, it is not for uh, the faint of heart or those with. A weak stomach, or <laughs> those that get grossed out easily. Um, but yeah, there, there's so many things that you could um, you could take from this. I mean, uh, you know, we we mentioned uh, the salary man angle in this coming. You know, in the the you know around the the bubble economy years. You know, um, you could also look at it as more of. Um, if any of you guys are familiar with Straw Dogs, the Peck and Paw movie, of this, you know, this guy who is, you know, a kind of nerdy loser kind of guy who is like uh, bored and, you know, is at some sort of breaking point mentally. Um, I've seen some people l- look into it as um, uh, having a, a layer of, you know, a queer sexual awakening at the end, especially with, you know, these two guys fusing into a giant penis, you know. Um, well, Andy gets sodomized earlier in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Or um, or maybe, you know, this kind of being, you know, uh, in this collapsing version of Tokyo, um, you know, the rapid technological growth that Japan and by proxy human beings are going through. Um, there's a lot there. And, and those are themes that Tsukamoto examines in uh, more structured, uh, traditional narratives later on. So we know there are things that he's interested in. But yeah, he, he's very interested in how technology transforms humanity. Um, he always has a very complicated and um, nuanced view of sex and sexual relationships. Um, like, like I really any Tsukamoto movie, the, at least the sexual component, I don't know that someone under the age of like 21 is even going to understand it. Um, and so I really like the way that he... Um, is able to explore all these things. Um, and Tetsuo is one where he, he explores all of it, and then he also explores none of it, because it's not coming right out and telling you exactly what it's saying. But it's all there. Um, and so I, I think that's another reason why it holds up and why people still talk about it, is because there's different angles that every person is going to be able to 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 look at this movie in um and that's not that's not an easy thing to to do either um and yeah that's not even mentioning all the cool effects work i mean 
Um, you know, the, this is an example of a movie that I've seen people, in my opinion, correctly <laughs> refer to as a tokusatsu film. And then, you know, I don't know, Kevin usually sends us screenshots of someone in like a Facebook comment section or something being like, no, it's, I don't know, something. But, you know, it, if if you enjoyed the to- if you enjoy tokusatsu movies, there's plenty of effects and similarities here. It's just not anything like what you think you are going to be watching. Yeah, you just got to be not squeamish. <laughs> yes, because <laughs> I mean that op- it's like the opening shot when the metal fetishist is yeah, he's like jamming like a pipe through jamming- his leg or something. Yes. Yeah. Oh. That that shot is, you're, you're right from the get. You're like, oh man, this is, this is like tough to watch. Right. It's it's, and it's such a convincing shot too. Uh, it it doesn't look like he's jamming that pipe into a fake leg. Yeah, yeah. If you're if you're like me, which is like I've talked, I've said this before, but like body horror is like a huge thing for me. Like I, I love body horror and this was like, you know, I saw this when it was like, all right, I've looked at all the Cronenberg movies. I've watched all the Stuart Gordon stuff. Like what's body horror after that? And it's like Tetsuo. Um, and yeah, lots of cool stop motion stuff, which we mentioned earlier, but like they they do a lot of stuff with like, um, still frame animation um, a lot of stuff with like wires going everywhere. Um, like when they're fighting, there's like uh, you know stuff like metal objects like getting like flying through the air. That's all stop motion. Um, and yeah, that that's on top of just really crazy, you know, go- practical gore effects. And um, yeah, the this this crazy giant <laughs> drill penis and all this other stuff. Yeah, Tsukamoto wanted to work in, in animation for a while. Uh, like when he was a, he was, he was a kid who would watch a lot of anime and kind of wanted to do that. But then I guess beauty couldn't draw well enough or something like that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, it, this movie is, uh, insane. Um, certainly not for everybody, but if it sounds like we're describing something that is up your alley, then, and you haven't seen it for some reason, this is one that's like, duh, go, like, watch it now. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, it's good. I, does anyone have anything else about the first Tetsuo? I mean, I, I think we've, covered a lot of ground here not really there's the one thing that i'll just point out specifically that no one has touched on yet is the the, like the costuming and uh, especially i'm thinking of the the girlfriend when she's like in her like like more nightmarish kind of form and appearance um it's just really cool it's a it's a really cool image and uh, I mean, there's a ton of them in this movie, but that's definitely, you know, one of the the highlights. Is that that you know when she's got the hose, metal hose <laughs> coming out of her. Yeah. 
Um, no, it's awesome. Um, and her performance is really good too. Like, it's like we could just say that. Like, um, she's just very uh, K Fujiwara is just like she's so very expressive, mm-hmm. uh, and her eyes do a lot for her, and and it's a great performance it's it's a very i don't want to say understated but i just it's you know it's it's kind of maybe an unsung kind of greatness it's 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 very expressive and very unhinged in a good way yeah we should mention in that in all three of these uh sukamoto himself plays the metal fetishist or sometimes called just the guy yeah the the japanese is just yatsu which would be like the guy uh, I don't know where the metal fetishist title came from. I've, heard, I've been hearing that forever too. Yeah, I mean it, it. It it is descriptive when you first see him. He does seem to be like getting into that metal. So you know, sure, why not? He's all about. It works metal. for the first one really well. Yeah, yeah. Um, his goals in the second and third are a little more. Um, I don't know, a little more deliberate. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> I would say, um, as with just everything in those. Um, okay, so how many, uh, how many bloody, sweaty, giant drill boners do we want to give uh, the first Tetsuo? I mean, like I said, it's not a movie I come back to super often. I think this is probably only the third time I've watched it. But uh, as Tom mentioned while we were going over the movie, um, every time you come back to it, still it draws you in and you're engrossed in it um, as engrossed as that giant metal penis is. Uh, Yeah. I just, I don't think there's much else to say about it. It's just, it's a fantastic movie. Um, If you're into horror body horror or just really surrealist weird stuff, or uh, if you're a tokusatsu fan who thinks you can put up with all of the weird shit we've been talking about, (laughs) definitely check it out. Um, I would give it a four and a half out of five. Okay. Um, Kevin, where are you on, on Tetsuo? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's a, it's a stone cold classic. Um, and I, I think that it, uh, is just, it's, it's in the, the upper echelons of, you know, what, what you would think of as like psychotronic cinema um and you know and and the the japanese side of it there there's a few films you know like like house or belladonna of sadness that you you watch and they're just mesmerizing and unrelenting and uh they're you know um unlike anything else even when after decades they've had imitators after imitators nothing's quite ever ever gonna recapture that magic um so I've, I've got to give this one, you know, just a, a perfect score of five out of five. Okay. Uh, five out of five random subway attack ladies. <laughs> um, <laughs> all right. Well, Tom, how about you? Uh, yeah, it's, I think, I think that I kind of don't always want to come back to it is really the only thing that keeps me from giving it a five. But, I think it's awesome. I think it's magnetic. It's captivating. It's rhythmic. It's it's kind of like almost hypnotic. 
I think it rips. It, it just absolutely rips. And if you like movies that have high energy to them uh, and you're not squeamish, I think you, you owe it to yourself to watch. You know, if you're if you're into the level of energy that something like the crank movies have where it's just constant and like a constant assault on the viewer that's what this is except like way more body horror driven and and way dirtier and nastier but but that level of just it's an absolute assault on its viewer once the action gets started which in the crank movies takes like 20 minutes because they're more like narratively structured and and then this takes about two minutes <laughs> um and so I give it four and a half buckets full of sweat out of five. Um, well, yeah, I'm I'm gonna go ahead with five. Um, I think it's great. It's super quick, um, and it is it checks off so many of my boxes. In uh, you know, it it's a movie that is still talked about to this day. You know, it's just. This was these poor theater kids, you know, living in a, a house and making this crazy movie. And it, it like, changed uh, so much of, you know, it, it left such a lasting influence. Still, that has a lasting influence. Um, and, yeah, it's gross. It's energetic. Um it's this psychosexual, surreal nightmare, um, and uh, yeah, it's just awesome. So five out of five. Um, uh, so um, after Tetsuo uh, Sukamoto, um, his next film is uh, one of his few studio films, but it's uh, Haruko the Goblin. Um, uh, which is um, a, a yokai creature feature um, kind of horror movie that he did, um, which I haven't seen. I actually just recently ordered the Blu-ray, but it's good. It's I, I think it might actually be my favorite of his movies. Yeah, it, um, I, everything I see from it looks rad, um, and so yeah, I, I don't know why I haven't checked it out. Uh, it's just a weird blind spot for me, but yeah, I've never seen it either, actually. <clears throat> um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to checking it out. Like all the creatures and all and stuff that I've seen from it, all look awesome. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, didn't do too well at the box office. Um, uh, you know, uh, so you know he's given a bigger budget. You know, um, uh, studio uh, movie that. Didn't light the world on fire. Um, uh, one thing that uh, he wanted to do after Tetsuo was um, adapt um, this children's book called uh, Torigoras, Torigorasu, is that it? Torigor- yeah, Torigorasu. Yeah, um, uh, which was about uh, uh, this boy, that uh, this kid that imagined... Um, uh, the wind outside that he would hear uh, was a giant, you know, monster bird coming to destroy destroy the d- Japan. Um, so he wanted to do a kaiju movie, um, and uh, yeah, I think it 
it it fell apart just because um uh I think it was one it was something where like they got the rights to the book and then they took too long in trying to get it off the ground and then the uh the author of the book uh you know pulled pulled the plug on it because it was taking so long and he you know took the rights with them just never happened um so so we we go to nineteen ninety two which is when Tetsuo 2, The Body Hammer, comes out. Um, Kevin, do you happen to know if it was a, a decision to do another Tetsuo came from the failure of Hiruko or you know, other projects falling through? What, what, do we know exactly what brought him back to Tetsuo? Uh, I think it was just the, the mammoth international success of, of Tetsuo in terms of that recognition there. And I think that that's something that you'll see quite a lot is when somebody comes out the gate as, you know, basically a, their their first feature film becomes this smash hit that they basically want to, uh, to, to revisit it if nothing else is kind of uh, catching catching people's eyes in the same way. I mean, it's it's a similar sort of situation to what you see with um, with Ryuhei Kitamura, how he keeps talking about how he's going to do a versus, new versus, yeah, a new versus, yeah. Uh, just because like that Tetsuo is Tsukamoto's calling card. Like, there's there's a reason why his biography is called Iron Man, right? It's it's a thing everybody knows him for, even if that's not his only thing. Um, but because of that, um, there was there was just a lot of interest in, in you know more Tetsuo and and you know the people that had stuck with him for the whole first movie were still keen to uh, to work with him some more. So um, I think that that's really kind of how that came about of you know following up and doing doing something in color this time mm-hmm. around. Like they, they weren't limited in terms of like being unable to do something in color the first time but you know this time there was a little bit more of a budget and they had some more uh, some more options in terms of what they could possibly pull off the other interesting thing about this is that uh well this one and the third one are both way more n- traditionally narr- traditional narratives whereas you know uh, the Iron Man was this kind of abstract nightmare. These are more, you know, okay, here's your story, here's your characters, here's your beginning, the middle, the end. Um, you know, the, that um, abs- th- there's less abstraction in this one. Um, so uh, I guess I'll try to kind of give the, the, the plot rundown here. So similar situation, we have this you know, boring salary man guy again, played by Taguchi. Um, and he, uh, has a wife and a son. Uh, they're at the mall one day and these, like these guys in, in leather and sunglasses go up to him and shoot him up with some kind of thing. Um, they, uh, they inject him with something. And then, um, they, you know, he, he starts to feel, uh, changes. And then, um, uh, at a later day, he is, uh, more or less tricked by one of these, uh, these guys that, um, followed him. Um, they kidnap his son and he's, he's more or less tricked into, um, killing his son. Uh, 
you know, they say, oh, we dropped your son off this building, even though they didn't, and he gets so mad that his arm turns into a gun and blasts the guy, but it turns out he actually just blew his son to bits. And so you almost get into a sort of almost don't look now thing with him and his wife and in the, the grief over this thing that happened to his son, but um, he's noticing... Uh, you know, that his rage is changing him. Um, and, uh, you know, as we, we start to see that um, these are these guys that were following him are people that are, uh, I guess, employed? I don't know. The, the, the guy, or the metal fetishist, whatever you want to call him, he just seems to hang out in this, like, uh, like iron mill, <laughs> like, all day with these other sweaty, shirtless guys. Um, and so we, we get into why he's, uh, hunting this guy specifically. Um, and you know, his plan is he, he, he wants this man to be a Tetsuo, which is like, uh, a, he, he, he's doing things to provoke him into being so angry that his body just transforms and he turns into this metal monstrosity. Um, and that's kind of what he wants to do to the world. Um, so you, you kind of have that motivation from the end of the first one where he's like, turn the world into metal. But here he's, you, you get more into why he's doing this to somebody and what he's trying to get out of it. And there's a twist at the end that uh, we'll, I feel like we should almost save as like its own tiny little segment. Um, and, uh, that's more or less what you get with this. Uh, you get into kind of, okay, why would someone target a person and try to turn him into a metal, make him so upset that he turns into a metal tank, basically. Um, I've never been that upset, um, (laughs) (laughs) that I've turned into a metal tank, but... That's what this guy is trying to do to this poor salary man um, uh, and making him, making him just go through it. Uh, you know, tricking him into horribly killing his own son just to get him that, get, get him to turn into a tank person. Um, so yeah, there's still some weirdness here. Um, and I, I don't know that everything quite makes sense, but that's Tetsuo too. Um, this is one that I didn't see until way later like i probably first saw this maybe a year or two before this box set even came out so i probably saw this in like 2017 or something um and uh yeah i mean i i saw i something that put me off it for so many years i think was i and i think probably maybe erroneously thought that this was kind of a cash grab movie. Okay, I'm going to do another Tetsuo, but I'm going to make it... Because uh, I always heard, oh, it's like more... has an actual story and stuff. And so my like bad faith reading of that was like, oh, he's just trying to do another one and then try to make it more uh, mainstream and stuff like that. And then I watched it, and I'm like, yeah, this is still incredibly fucked up. <laughs> um, so... Uh, my bad there. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, 
well, Kevin, I'll I'll start with you because you know you you saw the first one so young. Um, what when did you see the sequel? And I guess what I don't know. What were your? How do you feel? How do you remember feeling about it? Uh, yeah. So that I mean, that was one. You know, it it was the the first film was was one of those films uh, that was quite popular among my like small group of friends. So it was almost like a litmus test of like show this show this to new people and see how they react. We we did the same thing a little later with verses when that came out. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, my, my friend who I previously mentioned, he was the one that was like super into it. So, you know, he, you know, told me one day like, Oh, I found out there's going to be a Tetsuo two. So when that came out in on VHS and it was, it was something like six years after it came out in Japan, we, we snapped it up and, and, and watched it. But it was like one of those things that like we watched it and we're like, Oh, that was, that was okay. And then we kind of like, didn't really think about <laughs> afterwards. Um, so it was it was much more recently um, that I kind of like gave it another reevaluation, and this is this is you know maybe five years ago or something when I I finally like picked up the DVD and then rewatched it, and I was like you know this this has a lot going on for it, like it's not just you know Tetsuo in color, it's it's kind of doing its own thing, uh, and I can appreciate building out a, you know, a, a story structure for it. You know, it's, it loses something in terms of the, you know, frenetic nature of it. And it's definitely not something that says, you know, WTF going on. But uh, I think for like what it has, like it's got some nice effects going on, um, nice cinematography and, and the, it, it's not revolutionary, but it's, it's one of those things that I, I think it might be unfairly maligned by comparisons to the first film. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, Tom, what about you? It's something of a similar experience to Kevin. I saw this shortly after seeing the original, and I just kind of was like, uh-huh, it's, it's lesser Tetsuo. It's, uh, you know, it, that I was kind of like, oh, that first movie was just lightning in a bottle. You know, and just kind of just moved on. I, I only reevaluated it after getting the Blu-ray, uh, the, the 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 Solid Metal Nightmares set, and uh, rewatched it. And yeah, it was kind of like, oh, you know, there's 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 something happening here. There's there's it's sure it's not the exact same movie, and I guess I'm almost. In a way, I'm glad for that because I really think attempting to do that again might have been a even bigger failure than uh, the missteps the movie makes in trying to like build out a mythology and explain uh, what Tetsuo Ness is or you know that kind of stuff. Um, I think just doing the same thing again would have felt worse would have felt kind of wrote and and been there done that and what is this guy out of ideas already type of stuff um so i have sort of reevaluated it and and approach it with more of an emphasis on the things it's doing well i think it still has a lot of sukumoto's kind of signature like high energy to it um the score still slaps um, the, 
the effects are still really good in this one. I think I, you know, some of they're really, they can be really uncomfortable at times, which is, which is also great. Uh, it's, it's not as magnetic. It's not as, as commanding of your attention, uh, because it gets into some of these like exposition scenes that you're just kind of like, oh, this doesn't like make sense. <laughs> um, but if you could kind of let that just kind of wash over you a little bit, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in this. The you know, assuming assuming you can have fun with like the first one, <laughs> <laughs> assuming assuming that's kind of your idea of fun. I and I think this is less. It's less grimy and nasty than the first one. So, you know, if, if the first one, if you, if you're coming to this series or whatever for the first time and you're off put by just how like nasty and grimy and dirty that first one is, but you're digging the effects and the aesthetic, uh, but you just maybe want like more of a traditional narrative, you might actually respond to this one. I could see there being a person out there who responds to this one more than the first one, actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, All right. Well, uh, Lux, you are a newcomer to the Body Hammer. Um, So tell us what that was like. Yeah. um, Similar to your situation, it's it's a guilty issue for me that I waited this long to watch it. I didn't watch this until last night. Um, <laughs> and it's that's mainly just being misled by bad information, just word of mouth. I mean, uh, I was misled into thinking that this was just like a retread of Tetsuo and that it was just skippable. Um, and there wasn't anything really new to watch about it. Um, sort of like an Evil Dead versus Evil Dead 2 situation, even though I love both of those movies. Um, and that couldn't be the case at all, and I really should not have waited this long, so I regret that. Um, because when I finally watched it last night, I found out that I genuinely really loved this movie. Um, it does start off a little bit weird and slow, um, but once it finds its groove and it's it, you get to that steel mill and the, the 37th chamber of... Shaolin. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, it's very, uh, it's very different from what we saw in the other, and it has uh, this really cool idea underneath it with its narrative of uh, transhumanism and uh, the the power of the mind uh, to uh, affect the outside world and transform the body. Uh, a lot of metaphysical uh, ideas going on. Uh, I just, I, I really jived with a lot of the the weird stuff going on in this movie, uh, as opposed to how uh, vague the first movie is. So, um, like Tom said, there's probably people out here who vibe more with this movie than the first one. I think I'm one of those people. Mm-hmm. Um, on another level, just because this is Kaiju Transmissions, I would say that of the three movies we're talking about today, as a tokusatsu fan, I think this is probably the best one to watch as a tokusatsu fan. This one feels the most like you're watching, like, this could be a common Rider type movie. Uh, it's it's very much, it's still very, it's very Tsukamoto. Don't get me wrong. Uh, it's still very fucked up and weird. 
Um, <laughs> but it's got a traditional narrative to it. Uh, you, you've got an antagonist and a protagonist, the protagonist turning into, you know, uh, this monstrous creature as he's being yeah. manipulated. It's almost like shocker. Exactly. Yeah, it's know, very yeah, similar. Yeah. Um, so you, there's things about the way that the story is constructed and how it plays out that you will recognize from watching other things in tokusatsu. So I think if you are a fan of anything tokusatsu, this might be the easiest one for you to just jump in and watch. And you don't have to watch anything else uh, to to enjoy it because it's not mm-hmm. it's not related to the other two movies at all. Um, for me, I think my favorite part of this movie, um, other than the uh, the thirty seventh chamber of Shaolin monks, um, was the big reveal as we get past the awkward uh, lore dumping about what it is, is to become a Tetsuo and. Um, you know, worshiping this new god of the new world of metal and all of this stuff going on. Uh, the actual like battle that they get into between the guy and um, the final form of uh, the salary man once he's finally turned into this giant like tank monster thing. Uh, all of this sequence in the final part, uh, final act of the movie is really the best stuff I think, and really fun to watch. Um, the dramatic twist that we'll talk about is really interesting and, uh, lends well to the themes of the movie. Um, yeah, I just really like how everything's really ties together at the end and it really wraps up with a really nice bow for me. So yeah, of the uh, three movies that we're talking about, this one definitely is my favorite. I had a great time watching this one. Okay. Yeah. I, this is the second time I've seen it. Um, and yeah, I, um, I've, liked it more this time and I'll probably like it more the next time and the next time I think you know your initial impressions of a, a more structured Tetsuo sequel in color I mean like I said I, I was just assuming the worst oh it's cash it's, this is just a crash grab to try and make it more mainstream and uh, actually watching it it's way more confrontational <laughs> than I would have expected from that um uh, and so, yeah, I, I, I still really, I, I liked it more this time. I'll probably like it even more the next time. Um, but yeah, this, th- so this reveal is crazy. Um, so, uh, early in the movie, we, we learn that, um, the salary man, he can't remember anything before the age of eight. So it turns out that the guy is actually his brother. Um, and their dad was insane. And he was like a gun nut. And so like when these kids were like four or five years old, he was like teaching them how to use guns and all kinds of stuff and telling them like, you know, yeah, it'd be great if you guys could just be like guns. <laughs> like if I could turn you guys I love guns so much I wish I could turn you kids into guns. Like uh or um so basically, you know, uh uh you know, Tom, you're in Texas. I'm assuming this is like stuff that goes on like at the house next door to you every day. Um <laughs> uh, So anyway, their dad's a, a a crazy gun guy. He loves guns so much he wants to turn his kids into guns. Um, he's a madman. Tower starts. 
<laughs> so yeah, imagine loving your kids so much you just wanted to turn them into guns. Uh, and that's these kids' dad. Um, so that's already weird. And then one day, the kids, you know, uh, are, I don't know, they're being kids, and they they peek through their parents' bedroom. And they see their dad, who is gun crazy, and his mom, they're having sex. And they're using a loaded gun as, like, um, a kink, basically. Um, and, uh, you know... The whole, you know, playing with the gun, you know, um, the dad's, like, being really weird about, like, what he wants to do with the gun. Like, he, the dad is, like, way more into the gun than he is the woman. Um, again, stuff that I'm sure is happening uh, in in the house next door to, to where Tom lives. Um, Possibly and, right uh, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, this time of night, yeah, it could be happening. Um, and... Uh, the the idea that they're doing this with this loaded gun is like what's really getting this guy off right now, and and so you know at the end uh, he he he's you know got the gun um up to his wife and you know in the throes of you know climax or whatever pulls the trigger kills the mom. Um, and then this sends the the boy who we know is a salary man into this fit of rage where he um, more or less becomes a he, he, he becomes so mad that he shoots and kills his father um, and that's sort of the origin story of these two guys um, and yeah, that 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 brings it, it's one of those things where you're watching this whole movie and you're getting a little bit of the homoeroticism that you get in a Tetsuo movie, you know. You're seeing all this male flesh and and stuff in this, you know, metal factory. But then but then, you know, you're you're kind of wondering like, you know, this is Sukamoto, isn't it? Like it's not horny enough. Where and then and then that sequence happens, you're like, "Whoa, here here we go." Okay. <laughs> um and so, yeah, I think it's also playing into, if anyone's seen uh, Cronenberg's movie Crash, about these car crash fetishists who, like, the closer they are to death is basically the closer they are to orgasm. And and um, I think we're dealing with a similar situation here. Um, like I said, when I talked about Tetsuo, I, I find his, Tsukamoto's way of exploring sexuality to be really interesting. Um, like, uh, if if that's what you're more into i would recommend um snake of june which is a really i don't know if everyone here has seen that movie but that's more of like an erotic thriller that he did that really gets into that like i said i wouldn't expect anyone over the age of 21 to understand anything that movie is doing <laughs> um anyway i digress um so yeah we have that crazy reveal and we're, we're kind of given the origin story of these two and um so then it suddenly starts to make more sense as to why um, he's, you know, been stalking this salary man, using him as the guinea pig for this kind of Tetsuo project of turning him into a giant thing that can, you know, become a machine and annihilate um, humanity or whatever. Um, 
Yeah, no, uh, yeah, that twist is really, I, I forgot all about it. I remembered it when, I, when, the, when it happened, when I watched it this time. I was like, oh, I remember this now, but I had forgotten all about it. Uh, I don't know how. <laughs> I doubt I'll ever forget it again. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's a really, really interesting direction that this thing goes in the last 20 minutes. Um, how, did, how do you guys feel about it? I pretty much agree. I, I, you know, it, it adds a layer to the movie that wasn't there before, you know, and it, it, I, I think for this movie, you know, if they had revealed some, if, if something akin to that even had been revealed in the first one, I think I would react very negatively to it because I'd be like, don't, don't explain anything. Like you haven't explained anything so far. Don't, don't explain it now. But this movie being more traditionally narrative and, and having, you know, a lot more dialogue, even, um, something like this just gives it another kind of layer to it and another layer of intrigue. And, uh, it makes for a more rewarding experience watching it, and uh, I like it. I think I think it works pretty well. Yeah, I mean it's it's just a completely different paradigm that you're dealing with. You know the 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 first movie is about a guy who's done a hit and run, basically being haunted by the spirit of the guy that he hit. Right, whereas this. You know, it's just a fa- uh, happy family where all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this cult comes and, and abducts his child, and then you got to like back up and be like, okay, well, why is this going on? And instead of it being a you know uh, a hit and run, there is still a tragedy in his past, but it's a completely different one that still makes him connected to the Tsukamoto guy character, right? Um, and, and explains why they have a duality going on and that they are siblings that share this, you know, common tragedy. So I, I like that it's a, you know, it's a, it's a different, um, different spin on similar themes. Yeah. And Lux, you kind of segued us into the twist. I'm imagining you feel the same. Yeah, I very much feel the same way. I really like the way the twist colors the rest of the movie. Uh, revealing the motivations of the guy really makes the rest of the movie just click and it all just kind of makes sense. It's like, why is this cult chasing him down? Why, why are they transforming him? Why are they trying to brainwash him and, and get down into his deeper memories and unlock his memories? What's going on? It all makes sense once we get to the twist and it's very rewarding once you get there because it doesn't, uh, like Tom said, by the time you get to it, it doesn't feel trite or or anything like that. It feels earned. Uh, if something like this happened in the first movie, we would have hated it. But in this particular movie, the journey to get there, it, it earns this twist. Um, the best movie I can probably relate it to, which has, it's a better twist. is probably old boy. It's like mm-hmm. you get to the twist in old boy. It's like you have that moment of, wow, that's awesome. Uh, I think this is very similar to that. Not as effective, obviously, but uh, a very similar moment where it's like, ah, this is what's going on. This is pretty interesting. Um, uh, and it sets up this really cool dichotomy between uh, our protagonist and antagonist who are not actually a protagonist and antagonist at all. They're just 
two brothers who are trying to understand each other. Um, they just share this terrible past where they both have these biomechanical guns that react to rage. If you've ever read Trigun or watched the anime Trigun, you're probably going to understand what's going on here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I really, really dig this. It's a, it's a really cool way to end the movie. And with the, the two of them joining together and conquering the world together, uh, it's just really interesting. <laughs> I, I really love yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> And another little breadcrumb that leads us into that twist is um, at some point, because all those guys in the, the, the metal factory are like, eventually, like, they want to become these Tetsuo robot cyborg killers. And, but they keep, like, whenever they get, you know, injected with, I don't, I don't know, Tetsuo juice, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> whatever causes these mutations, they rust, and they rust out very quickly and the the salary man doesn't do that and 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 uh there's a part where the guy says you know you had this ability before we did this to you and so that is tying into that twist of like the dad doing something to these kids um and we get that also with the guy because he does you know people do finger guns he can do finger guns and it actually shoots people um, so yeah, that, that's m- more little breadcrumbs as to why these guys are different from these, these, uh, uh, these guys that are, you know, going through these transformations and rusting. Um, uh, but yeah, the, that whole twist really kind of puts an, a, a fresh surprise there right at the end that, like you, like you said, doesn't feel like it's unearned. Um, uh, and then, yeah, the, 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 the ending when they do, you know, they merge just like the, the guys at the end of the first one. Oh, this is going to be great. We're going to blow up everything. But then you get a, a the wife in the last act really kind of takes a backseat to all this other stuff. Um, but we notice after the two have merged into this giant tank thing, the wife is with them. She's like hanging on to them as they're cruising down the street or whatever. And then we flash forward a little bit to like this decimated city and, um, you have the salary man, the wife, and also the son is back now and they're walking through the city and they're saying like, wow, this is so peaceful. Um, so, yeah, it's interesting that in doing all that, the family unit is regrouped at the very end through this destruction. And and I think you could also look at a lot of Tsukamoto's work and look at, like, birth through destruction as being a recurring theme. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah, he seems to have a uh, you know a, a general contempt for the for the modern state of, of Tokyo, basically, uh, which at, at least in his early movies, um, yeah, is is kind of a running theme. You know, he he goes off and does stuff like killing, which has nothing to do with that, but uh, you know, early on it, it comes up quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, he says like you know I keep going back to Tokyo just because. Because, you know, I, yeah, I don't think he likes it very much. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, the, then you also have some bells and whistles with the the enhanced budget. I mean, the the special effects are are really good. You know, there's a lot more kind of um, bodily destruction. Uh, you know, stretchy latex kind of effects. Uh, so more really good stuff for practical effects enjoyers. Um, and uh, you know, one thing that I uh, I guess I'll say here. I obviously understand this. What's going on with this movie? But wouldn't it have been interesting if the wife turned into the Tetsuo? I don't know. I was just. The, I, I don't know. The, the, this rewatch, I was really paying attention to the wife um, as this grieving mother who doesn't know how to deal with this rage-induced maniac of a husband and the loss of her. Her son and I—I I, I don't know—that got me thinking about the idea of like, and I, I think even in the commentary by Tom Mess, I think even he brought it up is like, what, what would a female Tetsuo be like? Obviously, all these movies deal with you know masculinity and stuff, but I don't know. It just got me thinking. You know, what would you guys think of the wife being the Tetsuo? I think it would have worked. I'm not sure if Sukamoto, like you said, is the person who would would be right to do it. He seems very masculine in everything he does. Um, I'm not sure if he would be able to write it in a way that maybe uh, a female director would be able to approach it. Yeah, yeah. Um, But I would really love to see that take on it if this same movie was made and instead at the beginning the wife was the one who got injected and went through the transformation and ended up being you could even keep the twist yeah the sister she would be the sister instead of the brother it's like it would all be the same and it would be i think it would be if not the same movie a better movie maybe because of that different take on tetsuo as opposed to what we got in the first movie um, yeah, it just got me thinking. Yeah, it's, 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 it would have less of the machismo and uh, just a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, certainly the certainly the way that all of the the physical specimen perfect you know athlete men are all men uh, is is something that it's a conversation into itself in terms of that. Um, but I I do think if you were to do that, we, you would probably want to turn the dynamics around because in all three of these um you'll notice that the man starts off much in a, in a very like much meeker kind of position compared to uh, a, a wife that's more aggressive and much more like forward going and and um kind of um more on the uh getting things done side of things and i think that's what makes that explosion as the guy turns into the monster that much more impactful. So basically you would just have to flip that where maybe you have like uh, a female character that's being dominated by her husband, then turning into the monster something mm-hmm. like that. I think a female protagonist could have also worked in the third movie, which we're, we're, we'll talk about in mm-hmm. a minute. Yeah. You you'd probably have to change the title to like Tetsuona or something. <laughs> yeah. But you know, you even ha- you even keep the grieving mother, theme of it um yeah i don't know maybe that is something that's missing from the third one so so let's wrap up on uh, the body hammer um uh lux is the newbie to this film how many um how many crazy gun nuts trying to turn their kids into guns do you give this out of five 
like I said, this is the one of the three that resonates the most with me personally. I, I really enjoyed watching this one the most, and I look forward to coming back to it um, sooner than the other two. Um, so, without saying any more, there's just very tiny nitpicks that keep me from giving this a five out of five. It's going to be a four and a half out of five. Okay. Fair. Kevin, where are you at? Uh, so I, I enjoy this as its own sort of science fiction film. And I also have a real soft spot for this era in Japanese filmmaking, you know, this early nineties, like tail end of the bubble, uh, just the the way everything looks, the practical effects and things like that uh, are kind of my uh, my catnip. So uh, I I really uh, like that whole like B cinema vibe that's going on there. Uh, so like I I can really get behind a lot of the stuff that this is doing. Like Lux said, uh, it feels like it could be at home in something like a common rider kind of situation. I think it's kind of doing some, some interesting things. It's setting groundwork for things that as a franchise, if we want to call it, that is evolving. You can see uh, the, the changing dynamic there in terms of what you see later in, in the third movie. Um, so overall, I don't think that it's something that, I would recommend as, you know, as, as a, a a pinnacle, like the first one, but it's still a movie that I quite enjoy. Uh, so as from that perspective, not to disparage it by saying it's not a a five out of five, but I will say, I will recommend it as a, uh, four out of five, uh, chase scenes through a very busy record shop. (laughs) Um, all right, yeah, Tom, where are you on this one? Uh, every time I've seen it, it has been with relative immediacy after the first one. And I think it pales in comparison. And so that has kept me at a little bit of an arm's length in terms of... of maybe giving it a fair evaluation on its own. I'm, I'm excited. Like when I watched it this time, I, I liked it more than I had the previous time. I'm excited to like, I think make a mental note to myself. Like the next time I think about watching either Tetsuo movie or at all. Yeah. I guess there's a third one too, Uh, (laughs) but but the next time I think about watching one, maybe going for the second one first and 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 evaluating it <clears throat> a little more unto itself. But I do still think there's a lot to enjoy here. I think there's a lot to chew on, which is something I really like in, in movies. And there's like there's visuals that stick with you. There's there's things that I remembered from my first watch just visually that that I still remembered, even though it had been years since it was the first, since the first time I saw it, you know, when I eventually saw it a second time. So I think there's a lot to really enjoy here, but I just think it like it just for me pales so much in comparison to the, uh, the first one. 
but that said, I think I really like it. I just don't quite love it. And so I'm at three and a half out of five. Um, I was teetering between a three and a half and a four, but I think I'm going to go ahead with and round up, round up to a four. Um, I think we're all more or less on the same page with this. It's just everyone has their own different ways of more or less coping with this in comparison to the first one. And it, it, the first one is just such a hallmark classic that it's hard to break away from it when you watch this one. And it sounds like we're all at differing parts of trying to truly divorce it from the first one in our heads. And it might take a few more watches for us all to really get there. I feel like that's where we all are with this. Um, but yeah, I, I am finding myself really warming up to it. And um, uh, so I'm going to round it up to a four. And I, I really think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on here. And there's still a lot that it doesn't explain. It doesn't really go too deep into, okay, well, here's why he doesn't remember so much from before he was eight years old. Here's, you know, here's what, here's what this Tetsuo thing even, like, came from. Here's how this facility was built. Who's, here's who made it, blah, blah, blah. So there's still a lot. It's a, it's a straightforward structure, but it's still not explaining everything because it doesn't feel like it has to, and it doesn't need to. Um, so I'm at a four right now. I mean, realistically, I'm probably like between a three point five and a four. So like, if I had to get really, you know, specific, I'd be like, oh, three point seven or something. But the four is also partially out of the good faith that I know I I feel like I know I'll have, and the next time I watch it, I'll like it even more than this time. So that's why I'm rounding up. Um, so uh, yeah, that's. Uh, that's the body hammer. Did we did we all do our scores? Yeah, yes. there was one thing um, I forgot to mention. I noticed in the credits for Body Hammer when I was looking through them, uh, one of the producers is a name that we definitely recognize: uh, Hiroshi Koizumi. Um, <laughs> There's no way that's the same. <laughs> I, I looked. I, I, I looked through multiple different websites, and some are reputable. Uh, it's not just Wikipedia. They they all they uh, point directly at the Hiroshi Koizumi. I, Kevin, th- I mean, this just sounds like a kaiju Mythbusters thing in the making. But yeah, we we can look into this later. But I yeah yeah yeah, I yeah we're look into this one. We're gonna look into this because remember, a lot of places still say Shinji Higuchi worked on Kill Bill when the Kill Bill Shinji Higuchi is a different guy. So we'll we'll, we'll explore this, listeners. Okay, don't you fear? Yeah. Don't take it as uh, gospel for now. No, please don't. Um, I will okay. say it's a little difficult just because the Tetsuo movies are more popular here than they are in Japan. So documentation is actually better here than they are in, you know, Japanese sources a lot of the time. But that, you know, comes comes back to the, well, if the sources here aren't that great, then where do we go to? Um, so we have a long time jump before getting to the third movie. So, Tsukamoto has a, a career where he's making a, a bunch of awesome movies. He's in a bunch of awesome movies. Um, and so, we uh, uh, have... He does all kinds of stuff. 
before this. Um, Snake of June, Vital, those are great movies. Um, like he's in, like I said, the killer. Yeah. yeah, He, he, yeah. Tokyo fist. He's done so much between 1992 and 2009. Um, but, uh, we're going to go to the third movie, 2009's Tetsuo, the bullet man. Um, which had a little bit of a, a, a long and painful process to, to getting made. Um, so essentially after, um, the body hammer, um, uh, you know, American producers uh, were kind of coming to Sukamoto with the idea of like, hey, what if you did a version for American audiences? Um, and he, he kind of took to that idea. Um, and uh, for a while, this movie was to be a collaboration with Quentin Tarantino. Um, who was going to produce it and nurture it into existence? Um, he he uh, they they were working on uh, um, getting Tim Roth to be the lead, um, and just uh, uh, you know the the big struggle was budget schedule. You know Tarantino being you know the the well connected industry guy that he is. He was like, look if we're going to do this, like we really do need to hit the budget needs to be like as small as possible. He, 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 like he told Sukumoto, like the lower the budget, the more these corporate guys will be off our asses and you can do whatever you want. But like, so it was always just like, you know, Tarantino was like, we, we got to do this on the cheap because they will come in and fuck with us. Um, and so there were, there were challenges there. Um, and you know, Tsukamoto himself was having ideas that he wanted to explore that would have needed a bigger budget. Like, he wanted to do a flying Tetsuo, and he didn't even tell Tarantino about that, because he was like, yeah, there's no way, <laughs> you know, we gotta keep the budget small. Um, and, and, and so, yeah, I mean, his enthusiasm, as, you know, the, that just dragged out, um, his enthusiasm kind of uh, throughout the 90s for doing a third Tetsuo just kind of died down and he and you know he started doing other things Tokyo Fist Bullet Bullet Ballet and so on and so forth um so yeah the so the it being a, a Tarantino collaboration didn't work out um and uh then he he starts to kind of think about it a little more uh in the early 2000s um and uh uh he was going to set it in America, but then after 9-11, he kind of got cold feet about that, and he you know, mo- basically moved the location from New York back to Tokyo, his usual stomping ground. Um, and, uh, you know, th- this was still supposed to be something that would, would be a little more palatable for an American audience. And, you know, his, his discussion with, you know, uh, uh, producers on the American end, you know, they were telling him, you know, the first two Tetsuo movies are, you know, yeah, they're interesting, they're cool, but we also don't really understand them. Why is the protagonist turning to metal? And so Tsukamoto said, you know, he really had to kind of create a rationality in the storytelling for an American Tetsuo movie. Um, uh, you know, he said that, you know, American producers were telling him, you know, this is, abs- this is absurd. Story-wise, the American audience isn't going to get it. Um, so we lose Tarantino and Tim Roth. We, location goes back to Japan, and 
we still have Tsukamoto feeling obligated to make this American friendly narratively, which is out of the multitude of problems with this movie. That's like the death sentence probably before it's even out, I would say. Um, so yeah, eventually it does get made. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, Tsukamoto after, after him and Tarantino, just fought and fought and fought, uh, not, not fought each other, but fought studios on budgeting and on scheduling. Um, he really decided he, you know, he was like, I still want to do American Tetsuo, but I'm going to do it independently. Um, cause him and Quentin had a really hard time working with studios in approving a budget. And that's what dragged that out to begin with. So he's like, I don't want to deal with that. I'll do it. As, I'll do it independently on my own. Like I usually do. Um, and so that's the, that, that's where we get the bullet man. Um, and so we get this movie that we're going to talk about. And then in a better timeline, we have a version that he did with Tarantino and Tim Roth, (laughs) which is very much not, 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 would have been better than what we got. Um, so, uh, yeah, the bullet man, um, Lux, you're fresh off of this one. Why don't you want to give us a, a story, uh, breakdown for the bullet man? I don't want to dig too deep into this one because it really isn't too deep of a hole to dig into, to be honest. Oh, no. uh. <laughs> <laughs> you're not wrong. It's basically like, I mean, I think maybe it was Tom. One of you said, um, I can't even remember if it was off air or on air, but like it's the the next movie is more or less. What if we explained everything? What if we took the second movie and explained everything? That's kind of what we get. Yeah, this is a uh, this is very different from the Body Hammer. And anyway, uh, this movie is largely shot in English and stars the protagonist, who is a man named Anthony, who is married to a Japanese woman. You love Anthony. Oh, God. We all love Anthony so much. I, I know you all do. <laughs> uh, and they have this child. Uh movie basically opens up with Anthony out with his son. Uh, they have this encounter with uh, this maniac driving a car who runs over... Uh, their son and kills him uh, during that process of running over the sun. Some strange shit happens and like the body of the sun, like just partly destroys the vehicle as it like transforms into something. And we never really get to see it. Um, fast forward a little bit and we see uh, them grieving over the loss of their son. Uh, we have the mother talking about how she is basically going through really deep depression. She's dissociating from reality. Um, and meanwhile, we have the father, Anthony, who is, instead of a mental reaction to it, is having a physical reaction to it. And his body is slowly starting to change into uh, metal, as we've seen in the previous two movies, um, as a reaction to the feelings that he had from the loss of his son. During the course of this, we are introduced to uh, Anthony's father, Doctor Ride Stovall. The best—that's a Star Wars it's character. The That's most a- Star Wars <laughs> name ever. 
<laughs> Anthony Stovall and Ryan Stovall. <laughs> anyway, Dr. Stovall, uh, we get some some flashbacks to Anthony and his son with Dr. Stovall and and him being very protective of Anthony and like not wanting him to be too disturbed by things. So we're getting that foreshadowing about something being up with Anthony and Dr. Stovall knowing about it. Um, it, it all just basically ends up with a whole lot of lore dumping, just so much lore dumping. Uh, there's at one point, Anthony going down into a, like a secret basement beneath his father's house uh, where there's all the records of uh, past experiments that were done uh, on humans as far as combining humans with Android DNA um, to create. <laughs> do androids have DNA? <laughs> uh, they do now. Um, and we are combining them and he, all he sees at first are just all these pictures and weird shit and he finds the dead body of his mother down there which he finds very weird um then we get a raid on the house from the uh some sort of corporation who are wanting to stop him from transforming and to here to cover up the documents uh, about the project um his wife has already shown up in the process as well because she was looking for him. Um, so we've got this raid with the SWAT team, and the wife is there. They they hold her hostage, which causes Anthony to go crazy, and he's just in a fit of rage, transforms even further, and uh, kills all of the SWAT team. Um, and it's, it's at this point when the SWAT team, the remaining ones, uh, retreat from the house that we're introduced to the guy, uh, Sukamoto shows up and he is behind the scenes, scenes, this, uh, informant player who's, uh, manipulating the corporation into some sort of ends and has some sort of connection to this, the Tetsuo experiments. Um, and he's pulling the strings behind everything at this point. We uh, we have a scene that's uh, Anthony now despairing and seeing that he's become this monster, tries to kill himself. He shoots himself in the head, but survives. Uh, <laughs> and the, the wife comforts him, and we move directly into another lore dump scene as the father is presented to them by um, uh, Sukamoto, who is... Like I said, just pulling the strings at this point and telling you know them where to go and what to do, and he's kind of like leading them down this path of, that he's pre-made for them to some end to get what he wants out of this situation. And there's a big lore dump with the father who's been stabbed and he's bleeding out and dying, and he he talks about the experiment. He talks about uh, Anthony's mother, who was his partner uh, at the experiment, and how. She was really wanting it to be positive and help people, but then it ended up only being funded because they were able to use it for military means, and only corporations who wanted it for military applications sent them money. So she was mad about that, and uh, eventually came around to it, though, when she found out she had cancer and she was dying. She wanted him to recreate her body as an android so that he could then impregnate the android version of her 
and have Anthony. <clears throat> Are we done yet? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Android Sex. Anthony exists. He is now the Bullet Man. The, this this Android DNA creature fueled by rage. Um, Doctor Ride dies, and we are again hurried along to the next part of this, which is the leading to the end of the movie where we have our final confrontation with Sukamoto's character, the guy, and he confronts them in the basement, takes the wife hostage. And we have a, presumably a bomb placed around her neck and he has a trigger and says, he'll pull the trigger unless Anthony shoots him. Uh, so he's just begging Anthony to, to kill him, but somehow Anthony cannot bring himself to do so because he does not want to fully turn into a monster. Uh, and it, it goes on for quite a bit, even though it's, uh, <laughs> it, it, it's sort of, it, I would compare this part of the movie to like Goku versus Frieza, <laughs> where it's like you have you have one minute to make your choice, and here's our countdown. But it takes like another ten minutes, uh, <laughs> uh, where they're, they they he chases them up through the house, and then they're going up in between like all these crawl spaces and the walls, and uh, all through this whole thing, uh, Anthony is further transforming. Uh, and just going nuts, trying to chase him down uh, through the house, trying to find him and stop him before he kills his wife. Uh, and then they have their final showdown, and Anthony still can't bring himself to kill him, but ends up turning into some sort of giant bomb that's going to destroy the city. And we get like a flash forward of the city being destroyed, which doesn't actually happen because uh, he doesn't end up pulling the trigger per se to kill Tsukamoto. Instead, he grabs Tsukamoto and pulls him into himself. And we get this final words. You don't want me inside you. You don't know what I'll do. And we get presumably just a happy ending after that. It's very much like the body hammer. You just see the <laughs> Anthony and the wife, they have another child and everything's good and everything's fine. <laughs> You all right? <laughs> I'm good now. It's you over. made it. You made it. It's over. It's all over. Um, yeah, the interesting thing about the guy in this is that this is the only one of the three where he doesn't have powers. So it's like he's just a he's guy. trying to. Yeah, he, he he's trying to basically do what he was trying to do in the second one. You know, he's trying to get Anthony to get so. <laughs> so mad and so upset that he transforms into a thing that will like destroy the world or whatever. Then Anthony like eats him, and then at the end, you know, I don't know. They live happily ever after, and he's able to. Yeah, I think the ending is like insinuating that the guy is still in him somewhere, but it also looks like he's able to like suppress it. So yay, we're happily ever after. Woo. Yeah. Um, it, it plays with a ambiguity that there might be some something dangerous lurking inside of him because there's a you know the final shot of the movie is some guys like thinking that they're gonna mug him and then like going up and like taking a look and it's like backing off right away yeah yeah they sense something bad um 
Yeah, so I, I mean, I, this one I first saw when it came out, because I was already a Tetsuo fan by then. Um, and yeah, I, I remember watching it, and I just didn't like it at all. So when it came, the idea came to do this, I was like, yeah, I'm excited to watch the first two again, but like, yeah, I am not looking forward to the Bullet Man, which probably explains a little bit that, like, I don't know, maybe it's just because I was so not looking forward to it that I actually, I don't know, I don't want to say I really, I like, I didn't, I thought it was not the worst this time. <laughs> like, I thought it was okay. This time, which is way more than what I was expecting compared to just how viscerally I didn't like it uh, the first time I saw it. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that just is, this movie was like, had, had damned this movie early, like, explaining everything is the big thing. I, I said to you guys, um, you know, a few days ago, like, the one thing that each sequel loses is like the ambiguity, amb- ambiguity that makes the first one so cool. And like the it, Tetsuo is one of the things where the more you explain it, the more boring and lame it gets. So, yeah, I mean, if people were starting to snore during that uh, plot breakdown, yeah, that's not Lux's fault. That's just the movie God, is insisting it's just on the movie. <laughs> yeah, it's insisting on giving you all this exposition and stuff that like it's really one of those things where it's like. It's like Michael Myers, you know, the more you try to explain what he is, the less interesting he gets, you know. And so, yeah, this is the Tetsuo version of, like, Halloween 5 or whatever, where it's like, Michael is actually this ancient being being controlled by these druids or whatever bullshit (laughs) they did. (laughs) And and it's like, okay, yeah, we really don't need all that. And, and, you know, I could definitely see why he would maybe cave to, like, American pressure to do that, but it's like, man, you you lost me. Um, And then the other thing is just, and this isn't, I mean, it's partially his fault, because he's an older guy now, or then, um, and, you know, this is technology that was still developing and emerging, but a lot of movies from this time period that are digitally shot have this look that is way too sleek, way too crisp, way too sharp, and it just looks really sanitized, and it doesn't look right. Like, I, I wish I could take every digitally shot movie from the 2000 to 2011 and, like, drag them through a swamp or something because, like, it, this, it looks so clean that it looks, like, wrong. And not in the way that you want a Tetsuo movie to look wrong stylistically. It just looks wrong. Like, it looks... It's too bright and crisp and... And and it's just a problem with movies that were made this way during this whole time period. I just hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Um, but, you know, I, I found myself really kind of liking more, uh, I don't know, my, liking more the, the surface-level monster movie kind of thriller aspect of it more this time, which made it me think, okay, this is more, this instead of just being a, awful movie it's it's on the very low end of average um so that's how i handled this round with it i don't know if this is a movie i'd ever watch again but um yeah so uh tom i'll give your i'll get your thoughts next because i know you you also have a very tumultuous 
relationship <laughs> with this movie. Yeah. I saw this for the first time whenever I did my second watch of... Oh, one thing I got to get... I got to interrupt you for a minute because there's a very crucial element that legitimately makes this movie lose like half a, a, a one and a half stars is the guy that plays Anthony is the worst. Okay, I just had to get that out of the way. <laughs> anyway, continue. I saw it for the first time, I think when I did my second watch of the other two. And, uh, I was like, uh, oh, <laughs> it, it's like the experience for me is similar to when I, when I watched like Cosmo Cosmopolis, the Cronenberg movie for the first time. And I was like, oh no. Another one that looks too sleek. Yeah. I was like, oh no. Like the, the technology, the world of making a movie has like passed this guy by. Um, luckily like Cronenberg, get this out of the way. Uh, Sukumoto has other films He's back, that yeah. he ends up making and he, and he, he bounces back very nicely. I, I, I love Kotoko. Uh, I really liked killing. I haven't seen fires on the plane. And then he's got another one coming out this year, actually, uh, or at least it's done. Um, so luckily Sukumoto bounces back, but I liked it even less this time. I just was <laughs> very exhausted with all the over explanation and not just of the lore. Cause that in itself is like boring enough, but what's really frustrating and makes it for like a just unenjoyable watch for me is everyone explains out loud what they are feeling and what they're doing. Like characters like like the wife will be like, your son was just killed. Aren't you feeling angry? Oh, I know you're feeling angry. Now you're, you're feeling this and now you're going to do this. And I was just like, yeah, like, thank you for explaining the, the metaphors for me. Like, I, I ugh. <laughs> I find it, I find it like repulsive. It, 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 it like, it makes me feel like, I guess it makes more sense when you say that Tsukamoto was really trying to make this for an Amer like for an audience. And he was, he was trying to make this to be easily consumed by, yeah. by an American, like theatrical kind of going audience because that's that's what it feels like it feels yeah that this is something where it, is if he if he like did an, have Tarantino at I'd his like side, also get it. I like or so, you know or someone like Tarantino. Like Tarantino could have coached him through this. Not I think. Even Tarantino like knows what movie. To this feels what not to like, but I don't. I don't know that he had that. Yes, this feels like someone else making a Tetsuo movie. Uh, like it feels like the American remake of of Tetsuo Two, actually. Not it's so much like a Tetsuo, Tetsuo fan, but, but it feels like the American, like you gave it to, I don't know, 
like McG or something, <laughs> and uh, and had him make the the American Tetsuo movie, and it just is so sterile and and feels neutered and just spends way too much time <laughs> explaining everything. And yes, the guy who plays Anthony sucks. And I don't think anyone else in this movie is doing the movie any favors either with their acting and their delivery. Uh, there's a couple of cool things. I do, you know, it's funny cause, cause Lux, when, when they were doing their, uh, the, the recap, the one part that you could tell, they kind of came alive. Yeah, while they Anthony's were doing the recap a spe- was the he's part like where Anthony is in the hallway and and tries to kill himself. <laughs> and and I just I like that whole that whole sequence is is like the highlight of the movie. Not just that that Anthony tries to kill himself and we would have been better <laughs> off without him, but just the. <laughs> the dynamic between him and his wife in that moment and how she's like trying to pull the, the armature and stuff off of him and like get to the husband underneath and everything that really works. And that's maybe the only part of the movie where it doesn't like beat you to death explaining what's happening in that moment. And that might be why I respond to it. But other than like that, kind of short sequence there. I I just really don't like this. Uh this this time uh much more positively than it sounds like most of the rest of the group. Yeah, I mean I, I first saw it when it came out and I think I rented it from Netflix oh, or something and then, um, then sent Kevin, it back how did you handle it this revisited time? it since until uh uh, we're we're going for uh, for this podcast actually, but all right. So I mean, we're in we're we're in the same boat. That, all right. Um, I I understand some of the some of the critiques that y'all are making, but they're not hitting me uh, quite in the same way. I definitely, uh, as 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 Bird was saying, the exposition um, doesn't bother me and like you said maybe i just i like the things that are explained more uh but kind of getting getting that backstory and like oh this doesn't mean that this is the backstory for every version of tetsuo but for this version like no it's it's cool to kind of have that um the only place that i thought it was really clunky was right at the beginning when his dad is first introduced and they're just sitting in a room and the son suddenly goes you know, Dad, it's been 20 years since Mom died of cancer. Why don't you go back to your work at the mechanical uh, biomechanics facility or something? Like, I was like, uh, that's that's not how people talk. But uh, aside from that, like the the backstory didn't bother me so much. The performances were pretty um, stilted and awkward, and I don't think anybody that was <laughs> like. A couple of the Japanese actors had other roles, but uh, the uh, American actors in this really not, nothing of note. Uh, and I think that that might be justified in terms of 
the way that a lot of the stuff is is presented. But I, there are lots of scenes that I genuinely uh, get something out of, and even even the example that was just given, where like he's sitting at, at breakfast and his wife is screaming at him, like, "Why aren't you more upset?" Like, like I've been in situations like that where you know I'm like barely holding it together, and people are yelling at me, like, "Stop holding it together! Why aren't you more upset?" And like that. I, I can feel for him there, especially like the chaos of that scene where then like his boss starts calling him like, yeah, I know it's a bad time, but we really need that report. <laughs> like... <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do, we didn't receive your uh, spreadsheet or whatever. <laughs> I know this is a difficult time for you, but uh, this this presentation was due uh, twenty minutes ago or whatever. Yeah, that part did make that part made me laugh. <laughs> and, um, and 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 then then on top of that, the whole like you know delivery guy coming in to assassinate him and whatnot was. Uh, well, I, I had I had a good time with that. I thought that the special effects stuff was obviously kind of lower budget than what we had for, you know, Body Hammer, and um, that I think it kind of suffers in terms of the the way that stuff is shot. Like it's still frenetic, but it feels like it's frenetic in order to to hide bad special effects, and that's not the not really much. Yeah, the, this one definitely goes full like shaky cam mm-hmm. a lot. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, one thing that is awesome about all well, all these is uh, you know the same composer uh, is the last two movies. The music is great, um, and then. Uh, my favorite thing about this movie isn't even the movie itself, uh, it's the music, and that, that's the score, but also uh, there's uh, the, the end credits theme, which is, uh, done, uh, which is a brand new piece of music that was done for the movie by Nine Inch Nails, who I'm a fan of. Um, and so, yeah, there, there's a cool little piece, there's some cool history there um, uh, that goes back to, like, the 90s, um, is Trent Reznor of Nine Inch Nails, um uh around the time the broken EP was coming out great record by the way um but but when that when that was coming out he um he he was a fan of Sukamoto's which is no I mean these guys it's another thing where these guys were kind of fans of each other which should surprise absolutely nobody um and yeah he was like I want you to do a 9 inch nails video and um you know Tsukamoto was like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Um, and he's like, well, here's some concepts. And he was giving them, like, crazy shit, like a guy who's, like, part female and part male, and, like, both the male and female sides are masturbating. And Trent, <laughs> Trent was like, this is awesome. There's no way it's going to play on TV, but I love it. Let's, let's, let's make it happen anyway. And obviously, Nine Inch Nails at you know one of the, the one of their highest peaks of popularity, major label. They're like, yeah, you want to spend money on this music video from a crazy Japanese guy? It's not going to have you in it. It's something that will absolutely never play on TV. What are you thinking? 
Um, and so, yeah, it, you know, Trent was all about it. Sukamoto was all about it. But somewhere in, in the shuffle, just Sukamoto said, uh, you know, every time I, I called the label, they were like, oh, uh, he, it, this is like the 90s. So he's like, yeah, I, f- I sent a fax of this, this, and this. You know, did it get to Trent? Is what's going on? And and <laughs> the last call he had was about like, hey, you know, I just sent these faxes over about this music video. The the guys at the label told him they lost his faxes because they fell on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then he just never heard. And then he just never heard anything from them again. Um, but then later, uh, uh, um. They had an opportunity to work together. Uh, this is probably a few years later in the mid '90s when um, they got hired by MTV Japan to do like a little bumper. Sukamoto directed it. Um, Trent Reznor did the music, um, and it, it's on YouTube. It's a cool little bumper. It's back when MTV was still like kind of cool, and like they for commercials and stuff, they would hire like weird surrealists and weird directors to cook up something crazy, and then at the end it's like MTV. So they got to work on this MTV Japan spot. And then, um, and then so yeah, they, 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 they remained on, on good terms after that. And um, yeah, when it came time for the Bullet Man, um, that's also around the time that uh, Trent Reznor was dipping his hand into you know film composition and stuff. But yeah, Sukamoto... Gave him a call. It was like, hey, I'm doing a new Tetsuo movie. Do you want to do music for it? And then, you know, Trent was like, yeah, for sure. Let's absolutely, we'll do it. And then um, the way Sukamoto t- said was like, yeah, they had a couple conversations. And then, like, um, you know, I-, I think this is probably around the time that Nine Inch Nails were, you know, doing another album or something. And, and he was like, yeah, I didn't hear from Trent in like, Almost a year. I, I thought, you know, he probably just got busy, didn't have time to, to do it. And then one day he just like woke up, Sukamoto like checked his email and he got a message from Trent Reznor. He was like, here, check this out. This is done. Um, and yeah, he was like, yeah, that's awesome. And uh, it's absolutely an awesome track. Um, uh, like the, mu- the, the, the everything else, the music, the, the Nine Inch Nails theme, and the, the regular score. And this is is fantastic. Um, where are you guys on all the, the 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 probably the best element of this movie? It's good. Yeah, it's go. good. <laughs> I yeah, I mean, it, it's it, yeah, it works. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to inject some positivity because it's <laughs> easily the best thing about this, and it's. You know, he has reliable musicians making the themes and the score and stuff that, you know, I don't know. They they, they seem to bring it in ways that he was a little bit lost. Um, yeah, I mean, in learning the backstory of this, it's, it's kind of sad because I, I feel like, you know, if Tarantino was at his side, he could have coached him through how to make this He could have helped with a lot of the dialogue, too. Tarantino, I think, would have made him, gotten him to Americanize this way more successfully, and obviously Tim Roth would have <laughs> been a better actor than who's Eric Bosick is Anthony. <laughs> so, in some kind of alternative timeline, I'm sure that's that's the Tetsuo three that exists. Um, 
But we get this one. I I mean, in terms of music, I think it's kind of the weakest of of them for. Yeah, I could see. I can see that honestly. Um, yeah, I, love, I, the I love theme or whatever you call it, like the the romantic music from the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This one, I don't know if it, it's just um, Ishikawa recycling some old cues or if I'm just or 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 what, but I felt like this one reused music from the first one. Oh, the second. Am one I? Too. Yeah, like I, I, I didn't. F- the Bullet Man score seemed entirely original. This one seemed to, if it didn't recycle the score from the first one, it seemed like it at least pulled a lot more motifs from it. And like I said, if not recycled them, then reworked them into something very similar. Um. So yeah, that's another thing that I think brings the score for this one down a notch from the previous two also. Um, uh, but yeah, it, it's, I don't know, it sucks that this is, you know, where Tetsuo stops, but as Tom said, Sukamoto, I mean, even after this was kind of a stinker, he still, he after this, he makes more really good movies, and so this isn't like, you know, if this was the last movie he ever made, it would be like a Ghosts of Mars situation, where it's like, <laughs> well, I, I the Ward. It's I see the the final Carpenter movie is so unremarkable, I didn't even remember it. But yeah, this would be like a, a the Ward situation, where like, yeah, it's kind of a lame way to go out, but you know, luckily he he was able to bounce back, and um, yeah, I don't know. It's a shame that uh, this this didn't work out. Um, and yeah, I, I think with the right people helping him, I think this could have been better. But instead, it's it's kind of just what we get, and it's kind of just yeah, the kind of over-explained American version of a Tetsuo movie. And yeah, I mean, you, you can even tell like just in how the four of us are talking about it. There's not really the the uh, the two other movies we were pulling and and diving into like the thematic meat of it this is just there's not as much of that to hold on to here um i guess the most like interesting that it's not there at all i guess it's just that you there's like there's nothing for you to dive into because it states it all out loud yeah, yeah, and it it yeah it it just the plotting of it just feels like it's just going through the motions, and after each act, it kind of feels like it needs to recap everything that's going on, and then it just kind of limps along until it stops. <laughs> it's it's unfortunate that this was the one that was the most heavily promoted in terms of like, it you know when it came out, it had like big distribution from IFC here and it was, you know, yeah. available in, in stores when the original movies weren't. And then, you know, like yeah, they, they were out of print by then they made a, they made a figure and they were distributing it at comic con. And like, that was the first anything Tetsuo figure ever. And there's only been two now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there was a, there's a comic book tie in that's like, was there? Yeah. So it's just, what what were they trying to do there? Was it like a prequel kind of deal? Or? It was just an adaptation. Okay, it's not fantastic. 
Interesting. Yeah, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, I do remember, like, um, you know, when IFC got it and we're kind of pushing it here. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, it doesn't seem like it really blew up in any real way. <laughs> um, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, if, if, if for whatever reason you want the super, super duper straightforward and more amateurish version of Tetsuo, if that's your jam, then hey, the bullet man is, is here. And I mean, you can watch any of these without watching any of the others. Like this is more or less, if you're going to call it like a franchise or whatever, it's more or less an anthology, but I would steer you away from this one. <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't recommend this one to anyone personally. I, you know, it's that we talked about like, if the first one seems like it's maybe a little, a little too much for you, give the second one a try. Cause we talked about all the reasons, right? It's a little more narratively structured. It's a little less grimy, but it still has a lot of the, the hallmarks of what make that first one work so well. This has very few of the hallmarks of what make the other two work so well. And, and a lot more of the, problems of kind of both of them in some ways uh where you know one of the things you might say about the first one is uh, is that the 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 frenetic camera work and stuff sometimes gets a little hard to follow this one is super hard to follow at times all the action sequences are 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 trash frankly and and there's the, the acting is terrible, and uh, I just I, I can't imagine I can't imagine anyone out there who would like either the first or the second movie liking this. I was just thinking as you were speaking. Do you think there's anyone out there? Like, is there some freak somewhere that this is their favorite? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think absolutely. Um, the only reason I say that is. I think had I watched this in a vacuum without having seen the other two to compare it to, I, I probably would have a much better opinion of it. Um, Cause I, I'm really, I, I don't hate it, hate it. There's a lot of stuff that I like in this movie and a lot of stuff that I, I like because I hate it because it's funny. <laughs> um, so it's, I can see somebody just, you know, this was the first thing they saw and the only thing they saw at first in, they just really latched onto it and thought it was just a really weird, quirky movie, and they thought it was fun and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like on on its own, I think that this is a you know it's it's a middle of the road Japanese creature feature. Uh, yeah. Like it's not it's not outstanding, but it's not something that I would tell people like to not watch. And there are you know like. The prequel to Ichi the Killer is one of those things I would say, yeah, don't, don't watch yeah. it your time. Like, this is something that, like, oh, you know, sure, why not? If you got, you know, it's it's not the top of the top of the priority list, but, you know, sure, why not? Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm, it's, it's an underwhelming experience, and it, it's, you know, 
I do think I, I, I don't think he's ever going to do another if another one if if for some reason someone comes along and wants to do another one and he's cool with it because these are independent so he has to have like the rights or whatever um, I think I think if another Tetsuo movie had to be made I think the direction we were talking about with the second one with you know what if you did a more feminist take where it's a a female Tetsuo, that's what I would like to see. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, but I think that's probably the only... I, 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 you also feel like, at this point, he's almost tapped out on, okay, how do I... You know, I've explained everything at, at this point, so what is there? what would there even be left to do? Or even if you're not going to do the feminist take on it, you can go full transhumanist metaphysical weirdness and go non-binary with it. Mm-hmm. Almost like, um, I don't know, I, I know Tom's seen it, but there's a really great movie that, um, Titan, a French film from a few years ago that, uh, kind of, kind of does do that. Yep. And, um, and, and I remember watching, and it, that's a, a French filmmaker, Julia Decornu, who's, um, Another one like Tsukamoto, where you can look at, like, okay, this woman obviously loves Cronenberg and this and that, and probably Tsukamoto, but she's also her own deal. But yeah, I, I, I picked up on what you were saying, a, 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 a transhuman theme there uh, that, that gets into non-binary and uh, post-sexuality with that movie in a way where I could... It, you watch that and you can detect the Tsukamoto DNA in it. Um, and so, yeah, thematically even, that's... You know, it's not a movie anything like a Tetsuo film, but thematically it picks up the baton from where I think that element of the Tetsuo films leaves off. It's a really cool movie. I recommend it really highly. And it would be, um, it feels like a more logical jump from the first two movies. Cause like we said, there's very, you get a very queer read off the first one mm-hmm. and the second one, a little lesser to a degree, but it definitely has those undertones yeah. in it. So, yeah. um, to, to bring that full circle and make it, all queer, all non-binary, and really explore how uh, the sexuality has nothing to do with gender and, and, and really taking it to that next level uh, would be really interesting yeah. to explore the way that he explores it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, the the movie I just talked about, Titan, is, is probably the closest we're going to get, even though, yeah, it's not as... It, manic is a Tsukamoto movie but um but yeah you know I it, it, but I mean that that's also a good example of a film to bring up now as we wrap up is just how how these movies continue to influence and be important to um outsider cinema to cult films to um you know movies that really have a bite to them and yeah no i mean uh, tet- the tetsuo movies and just sukamoto's work in general you know i i think i think they're here to stay you know i i think this guy has really impacted um the more outsider genre cinema in ways that are probably just you know 
never they're always going to be relevant more or less um, yeah i don't know for sure that he was in like I, I i i have not seen it written on paper that he was an influence on say like tokyo gore police but like even indirectly yeah i, I know, feel it I, I feel it deep in my bones like if you, yeah like even even if it's not on purpose you know it's I feel like that's how much of an impact these movies have made is that they're they're getting to be just culturally <laughs> ingrained in Japanese splatter Japanese body horror cyberpunk biopunk all these little niches and directly and indirectly he's all over that I think um and uh yeah i i think he's made his place i mean uh, he probably if he were to retire he could feel comfortable in saying i made a difference um and yeah i mean you, there's really probably less directors out there that could say that than one might think um so Let's see. Uh, how many um, murdered FedEx assassins do you give Tetsuo the Bullet Man? Um, I'll, I'll I'll let Tom do his first because he's, you know, this this movie's going to turn him into a Bullet Man <laughs> if he. <laughs> no, I just I just don't like this. I find it, frankly, mostly boring, which is probably the worst thing that you could find a Tetsuo movie. And yeah. Uh, I just I can't ever imagine revisiting it at all. Even I don't I don't think it would ever. Be I probably on, wouldn't. Like I don't think it'd ever be like on anywhere where I would come across it. But even <laughs> even coming across it on like a lazy Saturday or something, I'd try and find something better to watch. So uh, there's a couple of things like I mentioned that the the scene in the hallway is really really good actually. And um, the music is good, but I just there's there's so very little that I enjoyed. I'm at a two out of five. Okay, um, Lux, I'll let you follow that up. I think, like I said, we're to take to make a fair comparison outside of the other two movies. Um, there are things that I do like in this movie. Uh, like Tom, I do like the hallway scene. I, I really like the way that humanized um, the characters more. Uh, and I think that's a lot of that is just because of uh, the, the the actress who's playing the wife. Uh, I think her name's Akiko Mono. Uh, she's like one of the only good actors in this whole movie. Um, I like all the scenes that she's in in this movie, even in the first half. It's like mostly boring stuff. Every time she's on screen, it's 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 a memorable moment. Um, like Kevin pointed out, there's a scene with them at the table where she's like screaming at him. It's like how how can you how are you holding yourself together? How can you be so calm and all that? And she has a scene where they're laying in bed and she's describing how the way she feels like dissociated from reality and how nothing outside their home exists and all of that stuff and how she wants to get revenge and murder this, this person who took their son away from them. Uh, every time she's around and on screen, it's something interesting. Otherwise all the American actors, horrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> their line deliveries, cringe and horrible. 
some of them, though, are so cringe and horrible that it's absolutely hilarious. And that's where I'm going to come around to what I actually like about it is when we get to the second half uh, with the the hallway scene that follows way too much shaky cam with him killing all the SWAT team and the fake FedEx people. Um, we get this, this scene of him trying to kill himself and then everything from that, that point on uh, turns into just... <laughs> the funniest line deliveries and the weirdest script writing I've I've seen in, in a movie in quite a while, <laughs> uh, especially with Sukamoto writing himself. Um, some of the lines that he delivers as the, as the antagonist here are like trying to mimic like American action movie antagonist. And it's absolutely wild when he delivers them. Uh, like one of them is uh, ladies and gentlemen, let's party. Uh, and another is like, are you ready to ride cowboy? <laughs> and, and it's just, it comes out of nowhere and it's so weird. And it's just, I, I you just cannot help but start laughing when it happens because the movie is taking itself so direly seriously. And, and then he delivers the line like this and you just, you, you can't not hold it together. Um, and then, yeah, the, the ending is super intense. I really like the scene of, like, the, the city destruction. It's not, like, anything amazing effects-wise, but uh, it's just got... The, the, the tension really, really rises when he's, like, just screaming <laughs> and powering up, like, Goku to, like, explode for, like, two minutes straight. Uh, and then we get the explosion scene and, like, the, the world destruction uh, before it you know, flashes back to show that didn't really happen. Uh, I thought that was really cool. And, um, I, I like how it kind of ties back as well to the, to an ending similar to, uh, body hammer where, uh, we find out that the, the bomb, the locket on the wife's neck wasn't actually a bomb at all. It was just an empty locket. So he wasn't really aiming to kill her ever. He just wanted, uh, Anthony to blow up the world uh, and kill her anyway. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, it's not as terrible as as some of what we've said might make it sound. The terribleness comes when we try and compare it to the other two movies, which are such better movies and just artistically genius level shit compared to this. Uh, so yeah. If I if I had to, to compare it to those movies, this shit is just way too much shaky cam. It's the the, di oh, yeah. the digital photography is way too fucking clean. Um, literally, the only holdover that we have from the other two is the brutalist architecture, uh, which is cool. I, I like the brutalist ar brutalist architecture, especially since we spend the entire second half of the movie inside the father's house, and it's just that's that's the the rest of the movie is just in that house. Uh, uh, so I hope you like that house, the brutal arch the brutalist architecture of the house. Um, but yeah, it's just missing the, the the graininess of the of the actual film and the other two, and the griminess and uh, the sweatiness, the dirtiness, the dystopian atmosphere. All of that's missing, and it's really that's that's the depressing part of it for me. Um, I can I can get over all of the, the the really stupid stuff and the boring stuff, but the depressing part comes when you you compare this to the rest of the franchise. Will we get another one? Maybe, maybe not. Hopefully, we do, and hopefully, it's better. This one, 
I almost want to rank it on the negative scale, but I'm going to go ahead. I'll put it on the normal scale and I'll give it a two and a half out of five. Okay. Um, uh, all right. Um, try, we're we're going to try to end on a more positive note. Um, Kevin, where, where are you on uh, the bullet, man? Yeah. I mean, it, I think it's, it's one of those where it's, it's tempting to get hyperbolic when you're comparing something to something that's as good uh, as your starting point. So it's, it's, it's just like when, you know, I, I went to Pacific Rim uprising and I was like, well, <laughs> if, if this was the only Pacific Rim movie ever, I wouldn't feel as disappointed. Right. But because you're, you know, comparing it to a stone cold classic, that's where it, it's, it's very easy to be just like, Oh, this is the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, yeah, it's not the worst thing you've ever seen in your life. Uh, so I think that bullet man, it's, it's really like, well, as I said, it's, it's a, it's a middle of the road kind of like Japanese monster movie. It's, it's not something that's going to stack up against the best of them, but it's also not something that's going to be like in a, uh, you know, Zen pictures, Sentai film works, the bargain bin sort of deal. It's just something that like, there's, there's a pretty, it's not, it's not like zombie ass or something. Yeah. It's it's not, it's not one of those. It's not, you know, zombie dead or uh slit mouth woman versus whoever, you know, those like there, there's some dregs out there. Um, you know, this is, this is something that is, you know, acting aside, I think it's competent. Uh, Mm -hmm. and you know, I can, I can forgive a lot of the acting because of the language barriers, you know, it would have been nice if it wasn't the way that it was, but you know, for, you can tell it was probably not made with proportionate resources to the promotion and response it was getting as a push. Uh, you know, I think it's 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 aggressively fine. So, you know, I'm going to go with a, a three out of five. Uh, very blink and you miss it cameos by Tomoro Taguchi. Where was he? Well, while they're like chasing through the building, uh, he's shown brushing his teeth very quickly as they like cut through. Huh. Um, OK. One of the rooms. All right. Um, all right. So, yeah, I mean, I'm really vibing with all of you for, for numerical score dis- discrepancies aside. Um, I'm leaning more heavily into what Kevin was saying in that, like, the disappointment comes from what the previous two movies brought and also what we know Tsukamoto can do. And this feels below both of those things substantially. As its own isolated thing, it feels like uh, not the worst kind of Japanese B movie, and it's merciful. It's, it's mercifully short. So by the time you start to feel upset about it, it's like already over almost. Um, this is not the most glowing praise I know, but um, realistically, it probably deserves like a two and a half, but. I'm going to round up just because I was really expecting to be more miserable watching this than I was. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that, you know, the pieces seemed to be in place for a good American Tetsuo when you add, 
you know, Tarantino involved, Tim Roth involved, and then it becomes this weird stilted thing. Um, and you know, the digital photography is awful. The lead actor is awful. Um, and yeah, just the way it relies on exposition is all awful, but, um, it's short enough to where it's kind of just comes and goes. Um, I have no real reason to recommend it. I'm giving it a, I'm rounding up to a three and you know, when I give threes, I always say like, oh, but it's a good three. It's a watch it on a lazy day three. This is more of a, yeah, this is like super mid and you have better ways to use your time three. (laughs) Um, but yeah, I mean, um, that's where I am. Uh, I, I agree with all of you in essence, though. Um, and yeah, it's, I don't know, it's just kind of a missed opportunity. Um, so that's the, that's the bullet man. And um, so yeah, there's your Tetsuo movies. Definitely check out the first two. I've seen most of Tsukamoto's stuff and everything I've seen has been good except for the bullet man. Like, so, you know, I have some blind spots there that, you know, I I'm hoping to fill, uh, and, you know, watch the handful that I still need to see, but, um, he's awesome. And, um, so it was nice to not only talk about these three movies, but also give kind of a history of him and his career and where he started and where he is now. Um, uh, shame about that third Tetsuo movie though. Um, so yeah, there, there we are on the Tetsuos, uh, any, uh, any last, um, uh, questions, uh, complaints, comments, emotional outbursts? You don't want me inside you. You don't know what I'll do. Uh, that's true. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) Um, all right, so that wraps us up, uh, and um, yeah, this is probably going to be out like Halloween weekend, so happy Halloween, be safe, whatever. Um, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I heard statistically, though, there's like barely any record of candy being tampered with, like that's an urban myth. Yes. So I'm not going to say be sure to check your candy, because you don't need to is from what I understand. Yes. But so. you know, don't run around in the streets, uh, without, without a glow stick, without a glow stick or <laughs> yeah. something reflective. Uh, make sure you keep an eye on your kids. If you've got them. Yeah. Don't and, party in Shubia. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. So watch horror movies, eat lots of candy. All the, all the Halloween stuff that, you should be doing party yeah. responsibly um, people party responsibly. Yeah. Um, what, what's that bullet man line? Let's get ready to party. Or something. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> let's party. There you go. Um, uh, all right, let's get out of here. Um, watch the Tetsuo movies. They're good. Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.